Alright, AK heads, we are back with another episode of the Talking Land AK Corner. This is season three, episode three. Three three. Three three in 2021, Kyle. What do you think about that? Kyle's muted himself, I think. Oh, he just left. That's what he thinks of it. <laughs> He's like, fuck you, Mark. <laughs> 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 that's what that's what I like about that. <laughs> So we got a, a room full of AK aficionados. Uh, this episode, we're going to be talking about competition shooting. We've got some uh, competition shooters here joining us. We've got a, an actual uh, AK event organizer here, Red October. Uh, I'm going to go yep. ahead and go around the room here and introduce our guests. So as always, I've got my co-host joining me, Brian Keeney with Occam Defense Solutions. Brian, welcome in. Stoked as ever to be here. This is a nice break from a chaotic work day. <laughs> Cleaning the shitters. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We had a, a tumbler malfunction that, yeah. yeah At least it's not happens. shit. We'll right. put it that way. At least it's not feces. Oh, but thank God. Darn close. It never yeah. looked like in that picture you sent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bless your heart. Yeah. Also joining us this episode from 212 Training Group, we've got our good buddy Jared Seagraves. Jared, welcome in. What's up, Leadheads? Great to be here again, Marty. Thanks for having me. It's uh, it's always great to to get on here and you know just shoot shit. Learn from the greats, man. This shoot is a shit, shit theme, right. I think, is is what. Uh, That's what right. Call it. Brian, Brian set the tone. There you go. <laughs> Also joining us uh, is one of 212's uh, key trainers. We've got Aaron Keener. Aaron, welcome in. Hey, guys. How's it going? Thanks for having me back. Um, looking forward to getting into the conversation. Starting Thanks to be a habit, me. isn't it? Yeah. I'm, I don't know. I think I'm becoming a natural at these podcast things. I may have to do these more often. I think you like to travel to different states and join the podcast. This, this episode, you're in Utah, right? I'm, I'm all over the place, man. I, I kind of live life on the road a little bit. You're everywhere, you're everywhere. Uh, and then, uh, not joining us at the moment, but I guess he'll jump back on. I don't see him. He's not on here. Is he Kyle? Is Kyle on here? No. Okay. No, he jumped off for some reason. Kyle Moore, who uh, was also on a previous episode. Um, He's who, back. Kyle, are you back? I am. I, I fucked that one up. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. We've been talking about you since you've been gone. We just introduced you, Kyle. So, so well, right in. we just welcomed you in. Thank you for having me again. So you're you're making this a habit. Also, this is your second appearance on the Talking Lead Pie. Is your second or third now? Did we do two episodes together when we did the concepts, AK concepts? We, we did, did. We did. There was a two part. That's right. So this actually counts as your third episode. So there you go. You're becoming a so veteran. My my third episode on. Three. Uh, three, awesome. three. Your third, yeah. Season yeah. three, episode three, your third episode. I knew we could tie that in somehow. Damn it. And then Kyle has brought a guest along. So uh, Kyle, introduce the newbie, the new guy. Never been on the podcast before. Well, we're fortunate enough to have Brian Nelson with us here tonight. Brian's a pro shooter. Uh, I believe he's still affiliated with the Southern Utah Practical Shooting Club in a large capacity. He is the match director and the creator of Red October, which has become my favorite match to attend. Um, so 
with us, Brian Nelson. Please say hello. Hi, glad to be here, and thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to uh, talking about guns and matches and shooting and stuff. Brian, please educate me real quick. Uh, you're on our national shotgun shooting team, is that correct? Uh, yeah, so as far as shooting, uh, I've been on three world championship teams in IPSC. Uh, one of them was the shotgun world shoot in 2018, and then I was in the rifle world shoots in 2017 and 2019. That's, that's some good so, bona fides right there. Yeah, the newbie. A uh, little bit, yeah. Uh, that and then run some matches. I've done some training. Uh, now I work for a company called Scoring Technologies, which is the developer of a software called Practice Score. Um, I'm not smart with software. I can barely figure out Skype, but I work for that company uh, to help with some of our other um, shooting sports and military marksmanship training uh, scoring programs. And do you do that all over the country or is that it just in Utah? Uh, no, it, it involves a pretty good amount of travel. Like, um, for example, tomorrow I'm going down to Las Vegas, uh, to meet with rifle dynamics about red October actually. And then I'll be going to LA from there. And then in the next couple months, a few different trips to North Carolina and North Carolina, Virginia, and, um, California again for not necessarily competition shooting stuff. Uh, a lot of that is to do with our, uh, military scoring programs for, scoring technologies very cool and we're going to hear more about red october uh coming up here but first we got to thank those that make this show possible all the sponsors of the show like occam defense solutions brian over there in idaho moscow idaho with the ods 1775 uh, we talked quite a bit about it the last uh, few episodes and uh, I think a lot more people have heard about it, and hopefully you've gotten some more orders on those since uh, the big there, AK concept scores. There were a few uh, 1775s in Nashville, I think. Uh, yeah. Nashville got, got invaded by the ODS 1775. Yeah, that was really cool to see. It was the most guns I'd, uh, that I've built in one place ever. Um, so that was a lot of fun to see and got a few orders out of the class there and unfortunately we're having to really ratchet down how many orders we can take you know so uh if people are frustrated and not being able to find them i apologize for that we just don't sell anything that we can't deliver so the good news is that when we do open orders we ship within a few weeks uh like six weeks four weeks right now um so we are still shipping guns it's just that they're coming out in a dribble right now because that's how many parts we can get um but on the flip side, the parts that we make, we're shipping a lot of those. We've got a big batch of uh, stocks coming back in. By the time this drops, they'll be back up on the website. The new folding stock, the Hex 2.0. Yeah, and I saw you're doing some sort of sweet engraving on those, too. Yeah, yeah. Inspired by our friends at League of Pirates. And uh, yeah, 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 we like that. So there's, there's some spice on them. So is that is that going on spice. all of the stocks, Brian, or just a run for LOP? No, it's going going on all of them from here on. Um, oh. Yep, yep. Well, I, uh, I want to thank you for uh, switching out stocks with me while you were here in Nashville. So I got one of those new one, new folding uh, hex stocks. So thank you for that. And well, the the nine millimeter in my lower back was very persuasive when we did that exchange. So yeah, totally happy. <laughs> you didn't have to tell them about that. <laughs> 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 oh shoot that was what you said yeah right uh, never mind yeah. so Odie, uh the occam defense solutions check them out uh and it's the website brian 
OckhamDefense.com. So if you can't get a gun, you can still get some of those other sweet parts that they make, the the butt stocks, the 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 sight towers. Are you still doing those? We're doing yep, we got rear sight towers in stock. Um Mercs we're just about out of stock on, but we got more coming in, the handguard. Okay. Rear trunnions we're deep on. We just got a pile of those back from Heat Treat. Um we have a fixed version of the hex that's pretty cool for uh nineteen thirteen rear trunnions, especially for you folks in California um who can't run a folder. Um and then the folding hex is is the hotness right now. There you go. And uh, so you can come yeah, close to making your own uh ODS 1775, but uh, there's still some some sweet things you can get, and the the lube, the Occam lube, you've got that there available too. So check them out on their website. Dipstick coatings, you're wearing the shirt that they did for us for the uh, the AK Concepts uh, course. So big thanks to Danny for putting together those shirts for us on uh, short notice. They turned out really well, and uh, he can do any kind of custom. Uh, shirts or just propaganda type stuff, you name it, they can do it there. You can go and he'll personalize with any sayings or logos that you've got. Uh, and they're at dip123.com. Uh, they used to do the hydrographics. I was doing some hydrographic, uh, hydro dipping this weekend. I did some videos. And uh, I don't know if you guys can see the, the AK there in the, the back. It looks kind of red and whitish behind me there. That's my Aloha snack bar AK. It's kind of got a, a Hawaiian-y theme to it. So I'll show you closer-up pictures. Uh, but they're not doing the, the hydro dip anymore, so uh, you missed out on that. <laughs> Dip123.com. Uh, and, of course, Seal One, uh, our good friends over at Seal One, SealOne.net. We're going to be giving away one of their uh, nice cleaning packages uh, today for one of you lucky lead heads. Uh, it's going to have the CLP, Complete Gun Care, uh, lube, it's got the paste, there's a brush in there, there's a, a rag, there's the skins, the wipes. That's a, a all-natural, non-hazardous uh, cleaning solution that you can use on your guns, your knives, uh, pretty much anything. Uh, but it works really good when you're cleaning your guns. So one product does it all, seal1.net. And one of you lucky lead heads is going to get a nice uh, seal one package at the end of the show here. Um, IWIUS, uh, we still haven't had them on. We're trying to, I'm trying to get with Jeremy, uh, to get them on and we're going to do a, I haven't really nailed down. We're going to do that Uzi episode, but I'm teasing you with it, but we're still talking about doing that. Um, uh, but hit them up, tell, uh, tell them you want that Uzi episode. Let them know you're excited about it. And, uh, maybe I can get that scheduled sooner than later for you lead hits. Mission first tactical, uh, those awesome trays. Did you get all those trays out, Jared? I have not got them all out yet. Been working, trying to get that done. Um, also been packing to head to Alabama for training. So, oh, excuses, um, excuses. Blah, yeah, blah, I know, blah. I know. They'll come out slowly, but surely, yep. guys. Uh, you guys that came to the AK Concepts, they'll be coming. I promise. Yeah. So we had special uh, gifts for our uh, attendees to the class. They got the shirts. They got the dump trays. Uh, uh, Andrew came by and he had uh, some cool stuff from Century Arms. Uh, I think Primary Arms didn't they give us some stuff too? Some beanies and things like yeah, that. Yeah, they sent some beanies and uh, some caps up for the event. So yeah, uh, it thanks, was, it was big a, thanks to them. So it was, it was really good. Really uh, took care of our uh, our students. So next class we have, we'll definitely uh, 
let you let heads know you can sign up and uh, you'll get all the hotness when you sign up. But you can go to Mission First Tactical, get the dump trays. They've got uh, magazines there, uh, AK or not AK, but AR magazines. I wish they would make some AK magazines. They make really good AR magazines. Uh, but you can use the code LEADHEAD, get 20% off at Mission First. Uh, Factory 47, they make the shirts that I'm wearing, the official AK Corner, talking about AK Corner uh, T-shirts, hoodies. They've got them for men, they got them for women, and they've got the, the tumblers that are engraved with the Talking Lead AK Corner logo on there. You can use LEADHEAD there, also get 10% off at Factory 47. That's Factory with a K, F-A-K-T-O-R-Y. 47 uh and then nemo arms our newest sponsors of the talking lead podcast in general um don't normally mention my other sponsors on this show but they just dropped a new discount code and i want to get it out there it's tl10 and you get 10 percent off anything at their their website and that includes their guns so their shotguns their ars uh, their ar-15s their ar-10s and their pistols uh, anything you get 10% off. So that's pretty huge in uh, this day and age. And those are some high quality firearms. You guys familiar with Nemo Arms? Yes, I've got a very good friend. In fact, he's one of our instructors um, that he was at our last Virginia class, Philip Evans. He runs a Nemo. And uh, one day I called him and I said, What are you up to? He said, oh, I'm working on my groups at 1400. I'm like, Oh, okay. <laughs> and he's. He's running a Nemo. He he likes to shoot a long way, so they're pretty impressive. Yeah, they're, they're actually out of Idaho as well, and I've uh, been by their shop in Nampa maybe a year or two ago, probably two years now. Very nice people and a very high-quality product. Yeah, neat outfit. Yeah, those shotguns are like heirloom quality. I'm actually going to be getting uh, one of those here in the next, hopefully, couple of weeks to try out, so I'll be making posts with that. Uh, with that shotgun look at you yeah baby Nothing well when you're the best when, for lefty when you're chiseling for product they have a uh their 300 win mag and their their bigger ar platforms they've got a patented bolt carrier with lower recoil that's really clever in how they did it and uh so try chiseling if Nemo, if you're listening, Lefty will pimp that well for you. There you go. Yeah, that's that's the Nemo that I've I've had a chance to get behind is the 300 wind mag, and it's pretty damn impressive. Yeah, well, believe you me, I'm angling for it. So we'll <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. I'll, yeah, I'm starting with the shotgun. Oh, that's no, what I'm, I'm looking at right now. Holy cow! Yeah, these are these are some fine firearms. Right. I'm super jealous of the shotgun. I'm just saying, you know, that's rookie numbers. We got to bump them numbers up. Let's, <laughs> let's get next. Uh, I appreciate the endorsement, though. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> and then, of course, 212 Training Group well, with Buddy Jared there. Um, we have been in talks about some uh, doing some more classes like we did with the AK Concepts. Uh, but you've got some things already on the books. Jared, you want to throw that out there real quick? Uh, yeah, what we've got on the books now, April 10th, uh, we're doing a handgun class here. We are working on scheduling i've been in contact with the royal range the last couple of days we're working on our next uh training date up there most likely going to be the end of july uh, we're also working on trying to do an ak class a rifle class here in texas um we're trying to fit these dates in around hsp dates that i've got to work 
Um, and then looks like we're going to go to Virginia, possibly the first or second weekend in June. So we've got a lot of things that we're trying to nail down uh, right now. So just uh, keep your eyes on the website and on the social media and uh, listen in for, for future podcasts here with Talking Lead, and, and we're going to get some trainings nailed down. Nice. I like it. Uh, and then for this episode, uh, we've got Geisley and ALG that are throwing in an AK enhanced trigger for one of you lucky lead heads. So this is going to be the third giveaway uh, for this episode. So we're going to give away the SEAL 1 package, uh, Mission First Tactical Dump Tray, and then this awesome ALG AK trigger enhanced with the lightning bow. So that's going to be a really if, sweet giveaway for one of you lead heads. If I ask a good question, could could I get on on the trigger maybe? You know what I mean? <laughs> if, if you've posted it on the... Uh, the Instagram post or Facebook post, yes. <laughs> no, you're not eligible. You know better than that. No, nah, I know. I'm just shitting. All right, so we want to talk competition shooting here. And I know I've gone through some of the questions from our listeners, and we're going to get to those. But, um, uh, there's a lot of good questions. But let's uh, just kind of go around the table here, and everybody give your um, you know, kind of your resume on the, the competition shooting. We'll start with uh, Kyle. Or not. It's like he's frozen. Okay. Yeah, if you can hear me, I'm experiencing some technical difficulties. I, nothing's moving and everybody sounds funny. Now we hear you. How about now? Right, we'll come back to you. Let's go to Aaron. All right. Yeah, no, you, I can hear you guys. So, okay. So Kyle, tell us go. a little bit about your uh, competition history, how you got into it and some of the competitions you've been in. Sure. I think it's, it's probably good that we started out with me because I'm probably – one of the more amateurs uh, in the competition space, I, I tend to, um, when it comes to firearms, I tend to dabble in all sorts of things. So everything from competition to one-man room clearing, small team tactics, precision uh, with multiple platforms, uh, and of course, teaching and sharing knowledge as I gather that along the way. So my competition experience is relatively limited, uh, just to some local matches and things, some two-gun, uh, some pistol when I was younger, some trap and skeet when I was younger. We, we don't really need to go into that. Um, but, uh, but it's been, um, it, it is relatively limited. The downside of uh, me dabbling in all of those things um, and kind of being more of that general defensive firearms practitioner is, is that my gear and things aren't totally set up for just one type of event or one thing. So um, just a little bit of experience. I would definitely consider myself an amateur in the competition world, uh, but have gathered some uh, some great knowledge, tools, and tips um, along the way. Okay. What uh, what got you interested in it originally? Honestly, it's it's uh, it's awesome to watch people. I think um, I, I think really growing up. Uh, my dad got me into some some uh, trap and skeet shooting, and uh, at a very young age, um, you know, was a member of the the NRA uh, pistol club and and Boy Scouts and all that fun stuff, and and just um, everything from just marksmanship, um, just kind of grew um, just over the years as I was younger. Uh, and I think as I started diving into just kind of learning. Uh, at a more advanced pace, I started traveling the country trying to learn from the best of the best. Um, the competition was definitely up there in, and, uh, in terms of speed, um, their accuracy, their, uh, their, their movements. Uh, is so much different when I started seeing them on TV and I, I started watching 
hearing friends go to meets and things like that, I was really intrigued. And um, I definitely wanted to get exposed to that and, and see what I could learn and kind of put in my own tool set um, and to expand my knowledge. So, How long have you been in the competition shooting? Uh, my first competition was when I was nine, uh, okay. but I, I wouldn't say that I've been uh, an avid competitor since then. Um, like I said, I just kind of dabble in it from time to time. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, like you were talking about the, the skeet shooting, uh, the younger kids can get involved with competition shooting with the, you know, the skeet shooting with the, the shotguns, and you know, that's a mm -hmm. great way for them to cut their teeth and get into the, you know, the pressures that are in, in competition shooting. So I think that for younger people, that's a great place to start to get into the sport. Definitely. Absolutely. All right, Kyle's Kyle's back with us now. Yeah, is that working better? Can you all hear me now? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We've got some terrible weather here, so my internet's in and out. Everything's intermittent right now. So tell us a little bit about your background uh, in competition shooting. How you got? Oh, I have no background, man. I just I like to shoot a lot. You just shoot um, a lot. I just shoot a lot. No, but really, I I started as a kid shooting a rimfire. It's 22 long rifle, 50 yard iron sights, um, Annie Oakley, a little bit of shotgun stuff, nothing like Mr. Nelson over there. Um, and then really I had no interest in shooting semi-automatic, uh, you know, running gun sort of stuff until red October came out and I was sold just being an AK enthusiast. I thought, man, I got to do this. And that really kind of hit it off for me at that point. I started shooting some IDPA. Um, I don't, don't really own an AR that's equipped to go do something like that. So I idle by every year waiting for another AK match to come up. And so I've tried to hit everyone that was available last year. We all got kind of screwed, you know, out of the matches that were available because of COVID. So I didn't make it to clash bash. And now it seems to be conflicting with red October this upcoming year. So we'll see if we're able to hit both of them or not. Um, but yeah, no, really, I'm, I'm very much a novice as a competitive shooter. I've just been fortunate enough to have support from some wonderful companies, which has enabled me to train a lot. And I usually do okay when I do enter in, you know, top 5%, not, not winning anything, but trying to get there. If, if I can burn more ammo, I, I think I could get there. Practice makes perfect and good luck finding That's the right. ammo, right? That's <laughs> right. Yeah. So, Jared, let's go to you. Well, my intro into the competitive world was actually as a 4-H rifle and pistol coach uh, as my kids were growing up, and, and that, that was an unbelievable experience because we had, at one time, just in, in our small county, we had 75 kids that were involved in the club, and every month they were showing up, and we were, we were running probably 35 kids um, at any given practice, and they were just the most incredible it was incredible to see their growth and see them form a love of shooting so then i started shooting some local matches uh, two guns some three gun matches here uh locally and um my intro into the ak world was when brian invited me uh, in 19 to come shoot red october and that's how i actually met kyle and it was just a phenomenal experience like kind of like aaron said getting to see some of the best shooters on the planet and and just study how they they did their job and you just pick up efficiencies and when we're up from a training aspect which is what i've took a dive into you know eight or nine years ago a lot of times people don't think that um real world applications can learn much from competition and that's just absolutely 
wrong, in my opinion, because it, it all boils down to efficiency. And sp- time is money. When, when you can more efficiently run a gun, you've got to be accurate, period. I mean, you can be as fast as you want to, but you don't hit shit, you're, you're done. So uh, I just really enjoyed the Red October experience. And Kyle and I, we met on, I think, the Friday before the match started. We were both walking around just scoping out the stages, and then we started chatting. And we spent the next two days going from stage to stage together, and we would we would – walk up to the stage and watch everyone else run it we would strategize and figure out what we could do to shave a, a tenth off here or a quarter second there and and it was just a great experience so i really fell in love with it and i was super pumped about uh 2020 and then you know the shit storm of covid hit how many competitions have look, you been in uh that was the only major competition i've been in i've been in small uh local matches Those count. Um, off and on yeah off and on over the last few years uh just anytime i could make them I, I love going i love really just meeting the people and and building relationships and it's just some camaraderie you know everybody's always rooting for each other and it's just a great environment and, and it's it's truly when people dive off into it it, it becomes about learning sure. and and that's what i'm passionate about so um you know, I'm a little bit bummed that the our training calendar of 21 is basically, uh, it looks like I'm not even going to be able to make Lash Bash or Red October, but, you know, that's that's just the way it is. Yeah, but you're going to be shooting, um, you know, so that's good. Yeah, so anyway, I just, I, I can't, yeah, and I can't wait, I can't wait till I get to jump back in and, and watch Kyle do his it's thing, coming. man. And it's coming, it's coming. Be a part of it. All this yeah. nonsense, need, it's, it's um, coming to an end. Nelson, we need to organize a few more things here in Texas, man, because it could be, I mean, let's, why, we'll, why we'll do network it offline. <laughs> yeah, let's we'll, do that. We'll man. do that. We'll network offline. Uh, so, yeah. uh, so I'm going to get to Brian Nelson. Hold on, Brian. Uh, Brian Keeney, have you done any competition shooting? Uh, none in an organized environment and a few classes I've done that kind of thing, but my only competition experience in shooting is sponsoring events. I think twice for Red October and then maybe some other smaller events. And, um, so I get to interact with the shooters and spectators, but in a completely different way. Yeah. And, uh, so looks awesome. Just, uh, yeah, I've got this work thing that seemed to take over all of my, uh, my recreational shooting time lately. All right, so I've saved the best for last. So Brian Nelson, let's uh, let's hear a little bit more about how you got into the competition shooting and uh, a little bit about your background. Yeah, well, uh, I've been into shooting guns all my life since my dad showed me how to be like safe with a pistol when I was like four. Um, then when I was eleven, I was watching a, a shooting show and saw this thing called IDPA. And went and grabbed my dad and said, hey, look at this. And uh, been pretty much it's been a you know, almost a weekly thing in some way, shape, or form since then. Really took to it, enjoyed it. So um, from there, I started shooting. Basically, I've done every action shooting sport except for, like, the NRA Bianchi Cup. So that's USPSA, IDPA. Um, I think I got the biggest thing I got into really was three gun shooting. That's when I kind of, mm-hmm. I, I won more stuff than that. And then, um, do you ever do the like three, I even did three gun action. nation. Do you do some of those competitions? 
Yeah, yep. I was actually on uh, back when Three Gun Nation was a TV show. I was on uh, a couple seasons of that. Um, just it was wasn't like it was a produced TV show. It was a match that they filmed people shooting. Yeah. But yep, I was in that. Yeah, I really and liked then, it when they were doing that. I just it's a shame that they screwed that all up. Yeah, yeah. Um, Sandy Hook didn't help with that. Um, you know, they're, so for Three Gun Shooters, Three Gun Nation kind of has a bad rap uh, for people who were sort of in it or in the know just because of some of the organizational things they did. But if I were to break it down, I think what really killed it was in 2012, they were on NBC Sports and like prime time and it was really catching on. And it was responsible for a lot of growth in Three Gun that people yeah. don't really give it for. Yeah. Um, just in exposing people to, especially like the first two seasons where they were going around to all the outlaw matches. Like anytime you, know, you can get a sport televised, it's going to explode. That's what happened to poker. Once they figured out how to how to televise it, then poker, you know, Texas Hold'em just exploded, and that's where that's where Three Gun was headed uh, until it hit the the yeah. roadblocks. And it was sort of. It, it, it aligned with two things. They stopped uh, going to the matches that really I thought looked cool. Like, I was already shooting, but I decided to shoot 3-Gun from watching, like, the first season of 3-Gun Nation, where I'm seeing dudes go around to, and this was, like, sort of in 2010 or 11 when 3-Gun was really, like, on an up sweep. And you're seeing dudes going around to matches where they're breaching doors with shotguns and shooting M240s and, you know, going down zip lines at the MGM Ironman. I'm looking at it going... Dude, I just shot a 32-round field course and thought that was cool, and that stage takes like three minutes or yeah. five minutes. Um, so that's what kind of got me into it. And then the, the Three Gun Nation uh, Pro Series they started up was compressed. The stages were uh, shorter, and they all started to kind of look the same. Uh, so I think that was less interesting from a viewer perspective. I Just my read on it, being a you know person who viewed it. And then they got off of NBC sports on primetime when that Sandy hook shooting happened. And it was kind of downhill from there. Um, I think it's yeah, safe to uh, bring it back though. What's that? I think it's safe to bring it back now. Yeah. Like, until the next thing happens. Um, well, there's always going to be know, a thing that happens. As long as it's got a big enough yeah, following, yeah. it's not going to go away. Yeah. Well, and that's one of the things, uh, in areas I think where it's great that we have now kind of less centralized traditional media, bringing us our sports, um, you know, we still have problems with uh, just pick a social network. They don't really like us and what we do, uh, be that Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, especially. Um, mm -hmm. But you it's still easier to get like footage of a match out and just be shared around. Like I know some friends that just have had, um, especially junior shooters that had something shared on even like uh, I think Barstool Sports. A friend of mine had a just a short video of him shooting like a Texas star with a shotgun shared there. And people look and go, whoa, what is that, right? I have a, I have a shotgun, but I don't, know, I don't do that, you know? Yeah. Well, I think in, in, until we get people's mindsets of, like, you know, driving cars and, and you know, all the people that die from wrecks, um, but they still do NASCAR. You know, you still get to watch NASCAR on – Yeah. Uh, it's televised and it's huge and, you know, it's very popular. And, you know, we, we got to get people start it's thinking a, of it like that. Based on bootlegging. Like, right. Yeah. <laughs> Just based on criminal activity. <laughs> That's a good point. All right, so let's uh, let's let's talk about some of the the gear that uh, that a competition shooter will need, especially if you're going to be shooting uh, AK competitions. Uh, and then and then we'll kind of differentiate between just 
like three guns and the different competitions and 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 the AKs and maybe why we're not seeing as many AKs in like uh, like a three gun competition. Um, but let's let's go around the table. Who wants to start off and and talk about their their gear that they use and and why? <laughs> um, well, I guess well, uh, I can kind of well, well, kick that off. Uh, although I should preface this. So even though I started, I kind of started AK matches in the U.S. Like there weren't really any before Red October in the first year. Even though I started it all, I've never actually shot an AK competition by itself. I've only ever used an AK in some other match. Um, so if you're shooting an AK match, at least Red October, it's actually fairly simple on the equipment setup for everything surrounding the gun. Um I haven't really looked at the Kalash Bash rules recently to see what the different divisions are, mm -hmm. but they're generally structured. So if you've never seen how a competition shooting, uh, like scoring setup works, let's do let's different... do this then. Let's just talk about yeah. let's talk about what goes the different types of competitions, the different classes, um, uh, those type things, and then maybe I'm doing it backwards, and then we'll talk about the gear and the stuff like that. So you're on yeah. the right path. Let's uh, just do it that way. Yeah, so backing it up from the different types of things, let's let's just back it up from the things you could use an AK in. Um, the primary thing would be just a specific AK match, and that would be like Red October, Kalash Bash, um, or one of the other uh, now AK events that are kind of a, more of a thing. And that's a rifle-only event. It doesn't require a pistol. It's just based around the AK. And within, within any competition shooting event, there are typically different equipment divisions to separate out guns based on their performance characteristics, like making sure that you're not scoring 5.45 guns against 7.62 by 39 guns. Um, sometimes there's separation as to if you're using an optic versus iron sights, how many rounds you have in a magazine, uh, just so that there's kind of a place to compare yourself with people shooting similar equipment. Because we know, for example, that shooting a 5.45 gun with a you know with a magnified optic or a red dot sight is definitely more competitively oriented or it gives you an advantage over an iron sighted 7.60 by 39 gun but we want both people to show up and use that gun and feel like they had a place to compete so that's that's why we have equipment divisions if you're shooting an ak specific match it's pretty simple man you're gonna need the gun that works first of all um that you verify works and is zero and all that good stuff and like one or two magazine pouches is pretty much, pretty much the t about all you will need for that. Fortunately, because we do, you know, the minimum magazine capacity is going to be like thirty rounds um, in terms of what's allowed. Sometimes it's restricted. You can use no more than thirty rounds in certain equipment divisions. In another equipment division, you might be allowed to use a drum. Either way, you're really not going to see a lot of courses of fire that you can't accomplish with ninety rounds. That being a 30-round magazine in the gun, and two 30-rounders on the belt. Like, if you need 90 rounds, you're probably going to run out of time before you run out of bullets. Maybe. I mean, you know, there's spectacular skill. At, I, I am particularly good at expending ammunition rapidly and not hitting much. <laughs> well, that goes into the practice, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that's... And then there are other... Uh, the, the Kind of the problem... Not problem, but one of the things that's different about so i mentioned other leagues and sports like uspsa idpa those are governing and organized bodies that have a consistent set of rules and challenges anywhere you go so if i shoot a local uspsa match 
here in St. George, Utah this weekend. And then next weekend I go to Nashville. I'm going to be shooting pretty much the same thing. And if I shoot a rifle match here and I shoot an, a rifle match in Nashville, there's no real organizing body that keeps the left and right lateral limits tight. So it could be completely different. Like I shoot a rifle match here and I could shoot nothing further than 50 yards. If it's just a like a, a rifle match that a local action shooting club has put on, it could be nothing's further than 50 yards and nothing smaller than like a USPSA humanoid silhouette target. And then I go to a match in Texas and oh, by the way, yeah, we have like eight inch targets at 400 yards and there's a bunch of stuff at like 600 to 700 yards. So it's a little hard to, to pin down exactly what the thing is going to be in your area um, for rifle only matches. Well, typically and you're going to ask before you go so you know how to. That's typically a good idea. And most places now are better about um, letting you know what's going to happen ahead of time and having sort of an online or social media presence. Yeah. Like when I started doing this in 2007, uh, like I shot a lot in Las Vegas, which is like a three hour, well, two hour drive from here. And then um, they eventually said, hey, why don't you guys like shoot in St. George? Turns out there was a club 15 minutes from my house. The only way you would possibly know about it was, you know, someone telling you. Word of mouth kind of deal. Now things are um, But, yeah, uh, looking out so ahead of time. Talk, talk a little bit about, yeah. uh, you know, you're talking about the different divisions of, sh- of shooting. You know, there's like open, there's tactical, there's – you know, there's all kinds of different ones, yeah. and now that all determines on how you can, you know, what optics you can use, magazines, um, distance, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, so, generally speaking, now there is a movement within the sport of three gun, which requires rifle, pistol, and shotgun, of course, uh, to include a two gun division where you can um, not use a shotgun and you can engage. Usually what you would do is if there are targets that would be shot with shotgun, they're steel targets and they would be engaged with a pistol. And sometimes they'll put in like, if there's a flying clay, instead of shooting this flying clay with a pistol, that's like not okay most places because people get mad when they find 9 mm rounds in their Cheerios on the you know subdivision by the range. Yeah, not a good idea. Um, yeah. You know, some places you can. I've been, you know, I've, I've shot at matches where, yeah, we, we throw, well, I just put on a match where we... Uh, through a flying clay for a pistol, and really? that was a mandatory target. Okay. Yeah, at a different location, not the old uh, facility we had in Red October on uh, 2018 and previously, but a different place with plenty of plenty of danger space and mountain to catch that bullet. Um, but yeah. Um, anyway, there's a there's so typically a two gun division. Like I'm registered now for the Superstition Mountain Mystery Three Gun. Uh, that's in Mesa, Arizona, same club that puts on the Red October Cold War pretty, match. Or pretty famous. Yeah, that's a pretty famous three-gun competition. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's, I think now it's the oldest continuously running three-gun match. It's been around longer than I have. So, um, the, But yeah, they have a division called Stealth Two-Gun now, which is basically, I actually just finished setting up a pistol for it. Um, and he's showing us this pistol now. Okay. Yeah, for those who are uh, like me, playing around, list, playing along on the car. Basically, what you're seeing is a CZ Shadow Two. Um, different sports. There's two primary ways to run a two-gun match, uh, or to run two-gun within a three-gun match. Um, I would say actually the most common thing you're going to run into, to the extent that it's common at all, is the 
uh, Unified or United Multigun League, UML. Um, their matches specifically have provisions in the rulebook where you can shoot a two-gun division. They have two two-gun divisions, one of which is tactical, which requires an iron-sided pistol. You can't have like a compensator or ported barrel, and the magazines have to be no longer than 140 millimeters. So hmm. for, if you're familiar with USPSA, those are limited division magazines, or like a common example people know is that's like the Magpul 21-round Glock PMAG. That's generally anywhere from 20 to 40 rounds, or the 20-round the mag that comes stock with a P320 M17 type mag. Um, they also have a two-gun open division where you can use optical sights, 170-millimeter magazines, um, which are kind of the, they're generally 26 to 28 rounds. And then uh, on the rifles, the determining thing is um, pretty much you... Uh, optics so in uml two-gun divisions they have i'm sorry it's two-gun optic not tactical they change the names uh they change their rule books with some regularity so it's hard to keep up but um two-gun optics or what we used to be tactical two-gun the rifle can have one magnified optic so it would be set up um i actually have a rifle here set up somewhat similar for those playing along uh audio only it's an AR-15. Um, you can see the silly putty on the grip from me making it fit. And there's one magnified optic. In this case, it's a Vortex uh, Viper PST. And then um, that's a 1 to 6. So typically that for close targets is used on 1X. But I do also have a set of backup offset iron sights. And those are Magpul MBUS Pros. But that would be legal in the tactical division at pretty much every three-gun match. And that would be legal for UML uh two and it, gun and you don't have to okay. use an ar you could use an ak for that right you can't use an ak so that's another topic that maybe uh fitting the ak into existing shooting matches might need to be kind of another topic in terms of flow um yeah well, let, let's let's kind of talk about that yeah the, the ones that you could fit an ak into so that is somewhat challenging um because um yeah, this might be a little bit controversial in me talking about it for people, but we like there is do it. Yeah, that, well, so and I'm not afraid to uh, put this one out there because I do talk about it on social media a lot. Um, we artificially limit the bullets, and the projectiles, and ammunition that you can use in competition, in, I think kind of a, a not very smart way. So basically the way that we determine what uh quote armor piercing unquote ammunition is is whether or not there's anything ferrous or, or steel or iron in that projectile so if there's any steel at all basically if that bullet will stick to a magnet it is generally not allowed in a competitive shooting match with some notable exceptions so and those would be events there's no exceptions to that rule if it's present so basically, like, I'm going to Superstition Mountain uh, in a couple weeks, and they test your ammo. They, like, just, hey, show me a bullet. And then they stick a magnet to it. If the magnet sticks, you're disqualified, period. Uh, because they What's think the reasoning behind that? So it's mostly, I think, kind of a misinformation about how armor-piercing any steel ammo actually is. So for my background in... Uh, shooting matches as well as doing firearms instruction for the civilian and military market 
as well as now uh, a lot of measurement of guns and shooting for scoring tech. I've now seen, I would say, probably hundreds of thousands of rounds of M855 green tip, like 62 grain ball, shot on AR500 steel. And yes, that has got a steel core in the bullet. It is far worse, quote, worse than even like Tula, Wolf, or bimetal, you know, steel jacketed ammo. Worse than it penetrates further? Is that what it is? So are they, are they afraid that they're going to damage their targets? Uh, the reality is it's no different. Um, I've actually shot the same piece of AR-500, AR-550 steel with 55 grain M193, with 62 grain M855, got green tip, and with 545 7N6, which is steel core 545. There, there's really no difference between the three. If anything, the 55 grain... Uh, M193 stuff makes a worse divot or dimple on armor plate steel, which of course causes a safety hazard if you shoot it at closer distances because it throws more spalling and fragmentation back at you. But any one of those cartridges leaves a divot, and honestly, 55s or the 55 grain ball is usually worse just because the biggest thing that causes damage to armor plate steel is really velocity. And that can change if you have a legitimately hardened projectile. But M855, which is steel core, or especially bimetal ammo, it's not any. It's not hard enough. But to they make put a that rule in because they don't want their targets damaged. Is that the, the reasoning uh, that's behind that? It, it's kind of the the perception is they don't want their targets damaged. And in reality, it's just a rule. I think that someone made up because they were worried about it, and it just gained inertia. And it's been the standard for 20 years since then. Uh, now, one other concern that is more legitimate, I think, is kind of the same reason why California doesn't allow steel core or steel jacketed ammunition. I'm not saying that's right. It's it's wrong as hell. But um, the state of concern is it is a bigger fire danger. So if you uh, have shot Red October, especially the years where we had night shootoffs and stuff, um, you got to see bimetal ammunition on AR-500 steel, and it makes a lot of sparks. Yeah. I mean, it's just... So, yes, there is kind of an increased fire danger, but I have actually seen fires caused by regular lead and copper bullets hitting steel as well. It's just a function of, like, if there's a real fire danger, I hate to say it, but we have to kind of be adults and, like, not put steel out. And at some point, like, even consider maybe we shouldn't even be shooting bullets into this area because I've even seen, no one believes it happens, but I have even seen just a bullet, regular, like, lead and copper bullet fired into really dry combustible you go to these crap. range days all the time and you know there's fires that break out from from that yeah so anyway but then the problem is if we're shooting a regular ak either an akm or ak-47 762 by 39 or especially if we're shooting an ak-74 in 545 good luck finding affordable and accessible non-steel ammo like the jacket has steel in it it's honestly less damaging to steel targets than most commercial 55 grain 223 ammo yeah because the velocities are lower especially 762 by 39 um it's rougher on like bolts and target hangers because there's just more energy dumped but in terms of the face of the actual target itself like the air 500 plate it's not bad but it's still not legal because if it sticks to a magnet it's just not allowed hmm. um and that's common within the USPSA, uh, the UML, 
and the uh, sort of even a lot of the standard standardized outlaw rule books. So, um, but if most you were to use but if you were to use brass rules, ammo, then you'd be okay. Well, it's it's not about the uh, the case even. It's it's the actual plating of the projectile or coated um, jacket. Yeah. So if you're yeah. using lead and copper ammo, yeah, it's fine. The problem is um, with 76239, it's not quite as hard because you can get, right now I know, to the extent that you can get everything, you can get uh, cellular and Bellet, S&B, um, I think Privy Partisan, and I know Hornady all make a uh, non-steel jacketed 762 bullet. Is the problem def- is... What, what is Defiance? Um Brian, Jared. What's that? Sorry. Uh, it's another brand of ammunition. Yeah. yeah. Defiant uh, munitions. Um, yeah. That's a solid copper projectile um, with a brass case. I think right now he's making them with... Um, Lapua brass. But yeah, Lapua brass. Very nice Ooh. round. Um, they yeah. are spendy. Like they're, yeah, that's, they're, that's, so that's the, that's the biggest problem is I want to shoot an AK in 7.62... But if I have to shoot non-biometal ammo, now I'm looking at, like, I think the cheapest thing you could do right now, well, is nothing. But the cheapest <laughs> thing you could do, like, like, in 2019 was buy S&B, and I think that was, like, 70 cents a round or something like that for a legal 762 by 39 to shoot in every shooting match. Now some you can't event, find it. Wolf yeah, actually has some out now that's full copper jacket for this particular. Yeah, that's right. Reason. They have that like range safe line. Y- yep, yep. I haven't. Uh, I can't swear to its quality at the moment. Uh, far from it, but it does exist. And my hope is that as we get out of COVID, the quality pops up on it. Yeah. Um, okay, so that's now, that's one of the main reasons why we don't see more AKs in like the three gun competitions then. Yeah, that's that's definitely part of it. Because, um, yeah, you're looking at seventy cents at least. You used to be able to find if you, if you can still find it. Um, just because if you're watching this and you have a seven sixty two AK, you want to shoot in one of these matches. Um, Yugoslavian ammo M sixty seven was the designation, I think. Um, that is a brass cased, copper jacketed bullet that's legal everywhere. Um, it is a little bit spicier than your standard M43, like normal steel case, whatever, Wolf, Tula, Golden Tiger, uh, 7639. And the primers are, like, definitely corrosive. So, you know, run some soapy water down a barrel of the gun when you're done. But it was legal everywhere. It, it that, we kind of, I think, that dried up, or we haven't had a shipment in for a while. But, you, when you I know, our uh, local- Butch at sorry. sorry to cut you off, Brian. Butch at Emma Supply Warehouse has it right now. Uh, like it was dried up for forever, but uh, Emma Supply Warehouse and also Atlantic about a month ago had a shipment oh. up come in, and I I agree with you. It is really nice ammo. Yeah, that's that's awesome. So yeah, I mean, even if you don't want to shoot a match, just like you should go buy some like right now. Well, you know, you should go buy some after I buy some. Uh, yeah, it's good. You're going to get the in. jump on it because sure. they're not yeah. going to hear this to the Thanks, field. Brian. They had it until you said that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and good advice on the soap in your barrel out. I would add the gas tube as well. Some people use ammonia. Yep. My understanding is that the only benefit that ammonia adds is that it's a surfactant, meaning that you, you said soapy water. Same difference, really. 
Um, we're just yeah. trying to pull the salts out of there. So if you're in a desert environment like Kyle in Arizona, you might not see an issue as much. But if you're on the eastern seaboard, it's like if you don't look at it for five minutes after you shoot, it'll be rusted shut. So it really depends on where you are. But Ryan's offering very good advice. And washing your uh, piston down as well is a big deal. Yeah. And I actually have like a semi-religious objection to cleaning guns as a matter of course. The one exception is if I'm shooting uh, corrosive ammo. Like I just don't want to have my stuff rust up. That's that's generally bad. Uh, exactly. We have yeah. same clean again since. Which if like, you use seal one, uh, it's uh, prevents corrosion. So there you go. There you go. Great for AKs and corrosive ammo. Uh, so. Gentlemen, I've got to uh, boogie to take care of this continuing bathroom crisis that we've got over here. Do you mind if I interject a couple of thoughts uh, as a bit of a I don't know, a change up and then I'll, hey. I'll be off into the sunset. Go. Well, please. Cool. Yeah. Um, so the first one is that even if you are a rank beginner, um, these things are kind of like burning man. I'm not, it's not like there's hot chicks running around half naked on drugs, but it's a lot of wild people, uh, that are dressed up in period, correct uniforms for, for different countries and different conflicts a lot of characters, a lot, you know, a lot of fun people. And that's kind of my favorite part about Red October is seeing all these people that are completely jazzed about AKs. So even if you're not interested in competition or you don't feel you're competent, show up. It's awesome. It's an event. And there's a ton of vendors, um, lots of machine guns uh, that you can, you know, I won't say that it's free to shoot them, but it's not a crazy amount of money. You know, it's usually, it used to be something like 20 bucks a mag, which if you know what it costs to maintain a machine gun and buy ammo, it's, that's a deal. Um, and then there's vendors with all kinds of goodies for sale and stuff to try out. You can try, Oh gosh, like OSS silencers, dead air silencers is usually both of those outfits. Both make very nice cans, uh, especially for the AK uh are at these events we're at them so it's a good opportunity to demo one of our rifles if you're wondering what's up and just all around a nice group of folks you won't find that many that kind of density of ak lovers kind of anywhere else in the u.s that i'm aware of except maybe knob creek or you know one of the big machine gun shoots something like that but even then it's it's quite mixed as to what people are into um and then the other one, if you're not terribly interested in competition or you're full on a martial gunfighter, um, the advice that one of my teachers and friends, James Yeager, has on shooting competitions is to if if you're not if you're worried about training scars or that kind of thing in competition, to just shoot it straight with sound tactics and don't don't care what your score is, just shoot it because it's a lot of them are especially Red October. It has some very interesting tactical scenarios where you have to safely manipulate your firearm through things like tunnels. Yeah, and I want Brian weird to talk configurations about where things, um, yeah. I forget if it's Clint Smith or or who says that the four firearm safety rules count all the time. Those are combat rules as well. And so if you're not somebody that gets to be off of a square range very often, Red October is a really cool opportunity to just shoot something straight and, you know, don't even worry about the shot timer uh, or treat it as pressure in a tactical situation. Um, you know, there's that line that you have the next, the rest of your life to reload in a gunfight. And uh, so 
you know, you can you can shoot these a bunch of different ways, and I'm not meaning to throw shade or anything at at the guys who are active competitors. Just saying, there's more than one reason to show up to these things, and um, if, even if you have a a, a spouse that kind of likes guns but doesn't really like them there's a lot to do there too so it's it's not the worst event to drag your your significant other to if they're not a gun person plus if it's in vegas you know <laughs> they can go well, to the casinos too. or whatever while you do the the competition but uh, i want brian to talk brian nelson to talk more about um the event itself and go into details about it um but those are great points uh, brian keeney appreciate that buddy um well, thank you guys all very much for your time and listening. And um, Brian, really good to see you again and good listening. <laughs> Thanks, man. I appreciate you. Thanks, Thanks guys. All right. Yep. See you, Brian. All right. So I want you guys to, to chime in, Kyle and, and Jared and Aaron's well, gone, I guess. Uh, if you've got questions as well, Brian yeah. or comments as Brian I, is talking. So there's, there's Aaron. Well, I think Keeney touched on a really good point there, something that was uh, foreign to me the first time I shot a match. And that there, there is a difference between a competition and a tactical application. Um, and even to the extent of the gear that you're wearing, you know, I see a lot of guys running chest rigs in a competition, which really isn't the fastest way to go about it, but that's what they use. That's what they have. That's their gear. So that's what they train with, which is really cool. I, I remember the first time I attended a match, I had a weapon light and it was in the middle of the day. And then I realized, well, that's really dumb. What do I need that here for? But again, that was what I had. And, and so, Brian's absolutely right. There's a lot of different reasons why any of your listeners should be attending these matches. If they're a fireman enthusiast, they're just a socialite. You know, if they're a competitive shooter, if they if they want to go practice their tactics and, and you know slicing the pie and, and manipulating their weapon through confined spaces, it, it covers all of the above. You know, you don't you don't necessarily have to be the fastest guy on the range to enjoy and and do well because r- really, who are you metering yourself against? You should be yourself. And, and I'll add that. Um that even if you are taking it from more of a, a, of a tactical uh, approach, that there is a lot of added pressure, and that's pressure you normally don't get when you get on the flat range. And so that's a, that's a good thing to expose yourself to, whether you're trying to win the competition or you're trying to um, practice sound tactics or, or kind of get better at your weapon manipulations, those things. So that additional pressure and, and people watching you and the hell, just, just putting yourself on a shot timer sometimes um, will definitely add that. I'm, I'm, I very much fall into the boat that, that you're describing, Kyle, in terms of gear. Um, a lot of people don't want to fully commit to, to go full-on competition shooting, and so they want to get gear that might might make sense for maybe their concealed carry or, or their daily mm-hmm. um, type things, but maybe they don't want to get two or three holsters for different events or those things. So I, I think that's um, to the gear point we talked about earlier. Um, I'm very much in that same boat where... My gear will work for competition, but it's not. It's probably not the best thing because I kind of want it to be a jack of all trades type gear setup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's not driven specifically for like the requirements that you're going to see on a on a competitive shooting stage. Exactly. It's like, uh, yeah, this kind of. I probably now almost shot more matches with the Safari Land ALS holster in a USPSA like retention holster than I have with an actual the actual nice USPSA like production division holster that I have. <laughs> Uh, more from me being lazy and not changing out the holster. Uh, but, yeah. Um, let's kind of get into so that since we're talking gear now. Let's, let's kind of talk about how you how you kit yourself out for one of these competitions. I mean, you just talk general, in general, just talk specifics about the holsters, the belts, the, 
the mag carriers, you know, all that. Well, that, that's it. Number one, right? You've got to have a good holster. If you're going to carry a sidearm, you got to have a holster, and and the same can be applied to a sling. Now, I, I have seen even at Red October uh, courses of fire where a sling can hinder you, but it's always easier to remove it and set it aside than it is to put it on if you don't have it with you. So, absolutely bring a sling, good map patches, and a couple good mags. Beyond that, it's it's frills and thrills. But those, well, those are can absolutely. I, can I elaborate awesome. on that sling a little bit, Kyle? I mean. Think about the the stage where you uh, ate some granite, you know. Yes, yes. You had to sling the rifle because your hands were carrying two yes. steel plates. Yep. And so the, the sling manipulation from a competitive standpoint or just from a general firearms manipulation standpoint is one of those things that people take for granted a lot of times. And there's a lot of options out there. And Aaron, Aaron does a phenomenal teach on sling manipulation. But... Um, you know, simply from uh, demoing a drill and then slinging a rifle and putting it on my back, people always come up and say, well, how did you do that? Or they'll see Aaron, you know, run a sling and, and they'll come up and say, specifically show me how you did that. And it has application. It has application in mm-hmm. any realm from com- competition, real-world application, law enforcement, military, it doesn't matter. And, it, and all it is is if we add a piece of gear um, so many times we we're I mean I'm I've been guilty of it we're all guilty of it we we buy the gear and then we throw it on the rifle or throw it on ourselves and we don't truly understand how to manipulate it and run it and that's something that um, it just takes investment and time and a lot of times people are um, afraid to reluctant to ask questions and I think that they have to be in the right environment where people are readily available to give and share information. And this, mm-hmm. this community, from my experience, is phenomenal about that because people, you know, if, if you start a conversation with somebody and you've got somebody that's one, you know, person is very experienced in competition, somebody maybe has been to a few competitions and you got somebody brand new, we need to do all we can to take those new shooters and bring them in and, and just share the knowledge and get their comfort levels up because that's the only way we're going to build this entire community is just sharing yeah. knowledge. And that's, that's everything. And that, and that honestly ties into what um, Brian Keeney was saying bef- before he left, um, is that, you know, e- even Brian Nelson was saying, hey, you know, not, not all social media is, a, is our, our friend or, or likes the kind of stuff that we talk about. Uh, it's not super friendly to the firearms community all the time. So you can YouTube stuff all day long. Um, but, you know, honestly, when you go out to a match or you get around other people and you talk to them about their equipment, or you talk to them about, hey, I've never seen that holster before. Where, where'd you get that? Um, I get you'll get so much more information uh, from a group of twenty or thirty shooters than you will from YouTube or anything else. Even though that's, you know, yeah. we're we're kind of ingrained in just googling things these days or or searching it online of like, hey, what's the best holster setup or whatever. You'll get way more information on guns, gear, and and how and personal preference and things uh, from going to a match and just talking to folks. Even if that's the only reason you go for, you'll get so much more than just looking it up on YouTube or Google. So yeah, if if I there are some conversations that I've had with people based on like what they thought three gun or two gun or USPSA, like what was the thing based on what they'd seen on, you know, YouTube, Google, or even read like, especially back when mainstream gun magazines were a thing. I, I still have a copy somewhere of a guns and ammo magazine about USPSA where I'm reading it and going, what? No, no one does that. That's, that's insane. You know, um, not to 
just bag on them because they've actually gotten better with some of the people they brought on. But um, yeah, go out, see it and do it. And then also like go into it with the mindset of even if you're not there to win, uh, if you're just there because like one of the great things about competitive shooting is it's the resources of many versus the resources of one uh, in terms of setting up a range day. For example, I don't think any one individual owns, uh, well, that's not really true. It's very uncommon that one individual owns the number of targets and barricades and props that I put in Red October. Like, and yet, for $200, you can go utilize all of those and shoot eight stages that have that. Or on a local level, you can pay anywhere from like $20 to $40. And the resources of a club or a company that puts on an event, now you get to shoot all those targets and, and see more of a shakedown of your equipment and yourself than you could really arrange by yourself or even with a couple of friends. Um, so that's um, one of the, like, well, the rifle slings are a great example because you saw at Red October a very, very, like, not that complicated iteration of, like, what you, of having to sling a rifle. Like, administratively let an empty gun hang so you can carry two plates. Uh, and that, like, kind of was not easy or simple for everyone. I just ran another match called the Hard as Hell Two-Gun, uh, Assaulter Two-Gun, uh, on Valentine's Day. And every stage required the rifle to be slung and unslung administratively at different points. Like, you had to do a lot of different stuff. You had to uh, do pistol, like, reholstering empty guns, because I don't want to have anyone, you know, glock leg themselves. But, um, and... A lot of people learned very, very much, even people who are experienced, when exposed to even more difficulty. Like, slings are not that big a deal in competitive shooting. We don't require a lot of use of it until we do. You find out things like, hey, QD mounts in, a, in an environment where you have to run around a bunch and carry, you know, a 100-pound dummy. Yeah. Um, that's and the best thing to do is, like you guys are saying, just go out and do a competition. Then that's going to... You know, you're going to learn what you need. The, you know, that's the best way to learn because everybody's a little different. And I think in these environments, if people go out and just try it and then they, they fail, they learn that the value in that failure is is exponentially more valuable than, you know, that feeling because it becomes opportunity. And that's it's what... It's been my you know, experience that, that the, the shooting environment, the shooting community is very welcoming and encouraging as well. So yeah, you may go out there and you may fail, but you, you know you're not going to get a lot of people laughing and pointing and snickering at you at the same time. You're going to get people that no one give you advice and want to help you and make you better. And uh, I mean, I've even seen people loan out their gear to other people to use, you know, during competitions. All day long, yeah. It's it's just very uplifting to to yeah. be in those. Well, and the quality of people that it that it attracts. Yeah, I think I did. I shot for like a year in cowboy action shooting. And I didn't own any of the guns that I was using. Just that was kind of how that club cultures are kind of different everywhere, right? That's I'm not going to guarantee that you're going to show up to a three gun match with nothing and people are going to be like strapping stuff on you. <laughs> Although that's yeah. probably going to happen. Like, you know, um, yeah, people, the, the sport, generally speaking, there's exceptions to everything. Sure. Um, but generally speaking, really wants people to get out and compete in it. Um, and the people that you meet are generally good people. I don't know really why, um, but yeah, it's even if they're you know 
morally completely bankrupt everywhere else. It seems like on a shooting range, at least people are cool. I think they want other people know. to try out Which, their badass setups and tell them how badass it is. Is what it, it is. There's that too. Yeah, there's that. <laughs> It's uh, all ego. It's yeah. all ego driven, you know. But let's talk about yeah, uh, Red October, and you know if, what someone can expect if they want to go to a Red October. Talk about the setup and the rules, and uh, you know all the goings on. Brian kind of touched on it a little bit, but I want to get a little more detailed on it. And and Kyle, you've been you've been to one. Yeah. Uh, uh, Jared, you've been to one. Aaron, you've not been to one, have you? I haven't either. I haven't either. Well, I, I think the biggest thing for anybody that's not been would be to read the pre-match briefings. Show up informed. You know, the, the range officers that are there, the guys that are helping, they're busy. They're running their butts off. They'll, they'll gladly stop and answer a question, but they really don't have time to. And, and ultimately, it slows down the whole process for everybody. It pushes the, the nights later, the awards later. Um, so do your homework to the best of your ability before you show up. Um and, and if you can, jump in there and help. That, that's probably the biggest thing that I've noticed is how many people show up and feel like, you know, I paid to be here. I'm, I'm going to sit back and BS and be entertained. But ultimately, for a couple different reasons, if you're more engaged, it's to everyone's benefit. You're going to help streamline the process. And then really the, the, the tactical advantage, uh, tactical is the wrong word here, the, the competitive advantage would be that you get to see that course of fire every time somebody shoots. You get to walk through and pace targets, and, and strategize. And, and it, it helps you as well as everyone else around you. So just take advantage of that opportunity. That's that's my two cents, but those are the biggest things that I've noticed You know, in, in attending Red October is that there's so much going on and everybody's so busy that it takes everybody contributing as much as they can to really make it a fun, streamlined process. Uh, it's logistically a nightmare. And, and stick with your team and... and you know, go shoot your courses of fire. Don't don't stack them all until the end of the first or second day, because we're for those of you that don't know, we're running multiple courses of fire spread across two days. So it might be eight or ten or twelve courses that you need to attend within those two days. And I've seen where a lot of people they'll they'll idle back and they'll BS for the first half of the day, and then they're trying to hammer it all out at night in low light conditions, or while other people are trying to clean up their bays. Um, so that's the biggest thing: be active. Be proactive and, and engage. Engage with you know the, the safety officers, the range officers, the other shooters, and, and just really embrace the camaraderie that comes about it. That's good advice. So let's talk about uh, Brian. Talk about um, Red October. What um, what possessed you to start this event? Uh, it comes from being a gun guy all my life. And one of the primary reasons I got into competitive shooting was just being into guns. And the competitive side of it came when I found out that I was at least at it. Um, and it was something I could sort of pour my time into and my dad and I could do together. Um, but I've always been a gun guy in general. And the, the initial idea, uh, was our club kind of wanted to fill something, in an October time frame for we wanted to have a major match. That was how we kind of supported um, the sort of the needs of the club as far as uh, being able to buy, you know, targets and et cetera, pay for range staff was by revenue from larger events. We wanted something in an October thing. And uh, so I just kind of had this idea that, Hey, what if we had a match that was only for AK and uh, sort of Warsaw packed rifles 
um, initially I was actually going to run a Mosin match just as a fun thing for a few uh, friends and I. And then it's like, well, you know, we could do a Mosin match, but honestly, that would suck because uh, ain't nobody want to shoot like that much through Mosin. Okay. Yeah. Very few. I do uh, and have, but like that's not that big a deal. And so I said, hey, what if I ran an AK match in that time period? I figured that I could get like 50 people. This was, I think, 2013 or 14, maybe. Um, it's hard for me to remember how many years we're doing this now. But um, so, yeah, let's run an, an only AK match. Figured I'd get like, you know, 50 to 70 shooters, uh, like a one day, six or seven stage match. And that would be good for us. Um, and when I kind of brought that idea up to a few people, they said, oh, that sounds like actually a pretty awesome idea. You need to talk to Jim Fuller and Rifle Dynamics. They were in Las Vegas. That's like two hours from here. Yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah, I know of Jim Fuller. I know of Rifle Dynamics, right? I've seen him on Facebook and YouTube and stuff and the Panatio videos he did. And like, okay, but I don't know Jim. And as it turned out, like in my circle of people that I knew, it seemed like everybody was like, oh, here's Jim's number. Oh, here's Jim. <laughs> right. Like, because Jim's just kind of that that sort of person. Yeah. Um, and so we talked about it at the Rifle Dynamics open house. They do a shot show every year uh, that there is a shot show. And First um, time there had been. Sounds like a, sounds like a great idea. Um, and basically, we want to partner with it. And what it consisted of, especially initially, was essentially putting a name on the event and then some support like, you know, Sponsorship, they've always donated a gun. The first year, I believe, maybe it was the second one, they had a PKM, their their shop, PKM. Yeah. Um, and it's grown into more of a partnership between Rifle Dynamics and myself, where they're, they're now much more involved with the event side of it on coordinating demo bays and social media and all those things. And basically, I just run the match, um, which I am, well, I'm not going to say I'm good at that, but I'm I've, I've done a decent job so far. And they do a much better job of coordinating with sponsors, vendors, et cetera, than I ever could. Um, but that's why I started doing it. The first year, I planned on having like 60 people, and we had 100 and some. And then it, it's only grown from there to the point where I think from the second year, the match has filled up to its maximum capacity. Um, wasn't that much of an AK guy. Had one AK. Um I was an AK guy in the extent that I was a gun guy, and AKs are guns, so you should probably at least be interested right. in them. Yeah, um, got to show a little interest that, in them. That's that's kind of the way yeah. I was. That's what got me started in uh, doing the AK corner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, and then found out as a result of it, right? I just kind of figured, oh yeah, like the people that already shoot matches that I know, you know, I know 30, 40 people that I know, and they'll bring some friends, you know that shoot three gun that shoot USPSA and have like a wazer sitting in the corner they thought was cool and, and found out through that, that there's a whole subculture of AK community and shooters that I had no idea really existed before that. Yeah. So, so this competition uh, gives them a, an opportunity to shake the cobwebs off their com block guns and, and take them out and run them. But you guys kind of do it a little differently than, uh, you know, if you've ever been to a, uh, an organized competition shoot before three gun or like you say IDPA or something like that. You guys, it, it's more like a cowboy shoot where it's kind of themed and people dress, you know, Brian was talking, they dress the parts and you're, you're carrying, yeah. carrying, you know, yeah. it's bodies kind of a around and you know, stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's kind of a function of just 
I think because it's me as an individual doing this as a, in a large way. I have a lot of people to help me, but when it comes down to what is the tone of the event, what do the stages look like, generally that's me and that's my perspective on what competitive shooting should sort of look like. So if you see Red October, everything has a theme um, and deliberate marksmanship challenges. That's what happens when you have, you know, I'm not the best shooter in the world, but I'm good at it. Um, you know, designing marksmanship challenges that are suited to the rifle and the people using it and you know not too easy not too hard but also there's some entertainment value in there and if you were to look at it and the matches that i've run so like red october and if you look at hard as hell three gun and two gun um you might want to play through uh let's just say a campaign level from call of duty the xbox game and you might notice there's some similarities that's what i did for you know it, that's what i did for entertainment like when i was 10 11 12 years old and this is kind of a continuation of that, except we do it in a safe way where yeah. we can do it with real guns. You know, that's why I think personally that it's cool to have a stage that's themed around a hostage rescue or a stage that's themed around, you know, something like that. A stage where, you know, maybe not every competitive shooting match wants to. Do you ever do like any you historical, uh, like factual, like the battle of blah, blah, blah? And <laughs> yeah. Thing. Uh, I did a whole match that was that. Uh, and it was called the Hardest Hail Heroes 2-Gun. It was the last one we ran in 2017, I think. No, 2018. And every stage had a Medal of Honor citation uh, attached to it. Named after it. So, like, you know, uh, there was a um, John Bassalone stage where uh, you had to carry a scaled replica of a Browning 1917 machine gun. And uh, because on Guadalcanal, the dude kind of burned his, his hand together uh, on the water jacket, shooting that thing from the hip, repelling Japanese assaults all night. So we taped a tennis ball to your hand, and you you, you could use the hand, but you had a tennis ball taped to it. So that necessitated some sort of one-handed manipulation. It's a thing right. I've seen done in classes. So, you know, learning occurred. Um, same thing with, like, you know, it's obviously not the same thing that happened, but it's inspired by it, and uh, that particular year was kind of, designed uh to also maybe bring some awareness and shed some light on some some people like that yeah. um to kind of present the best of what we what we can really that's cool you know, do a hard situation yeah well do you know what else is really cool about red october that you won't experience at most other matches is, is how many collectible firearms are actually being used right and it's funny to think of ak's as collector's items but especially your foreign imports They've skyrocketed in price in recent years. But, you know, you'll see somebody running a Type 86 or a 56-2 or something that really should just be on display. Just a beautiful yeah. firearm. Or uh, that wasn't Red October, but, like, uh, just because it wasn't ready, but Gary Hughes shooting a Sturmgewehr, you know? Mm. Like, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I did get to shoot a stage in a match, not Red October, with a STG-44, and it is actually one of the highlights of things I have ever shot was shooting that gun on a very simple stage. Yeah, I mean, awesome. stuff like that that you wouldn't normally have, you know, an opportunity to shoot some of these guns, but um, but you have the opportunity. If you go to, like, Red October or some of these other matches, you get the opportunity to shoot some guns maybe that you've never even dreamt that you'd be able to shoot. And that's actually going to be even more so this year than it has in the past. Uh, and I don't know what I'm supposed to really talk about yet because that's the subject of the meeting tomorrow, but... Oh, let's go ahead and talk about it. Come on. Yeah. Come on. Um, well, basically, um, 
yeah, I'm going down and I'm going to a place called Battlefield Vegas. Um, I've actually never been there, but I've seen what happens there. And basically, uh, the owner of Battlefield Vegas is just interested in this and wants to make it as cool as he can as far as helping with it. I, that's my understanding. Oh, nice. Uh, so we're going to see what we can really do. Um, that's another reason why... Um, it's kind of, we've run the match in St. George now a bunch, and then we've run one year at Pro Gun Club in Las Vegas. Uh, I'm actually pretty happy about running this in Vegas because it's much quicker to maybe bring things on a flatbed trailer to uh, Pro Gun Club than it is to St. George. And that's oh, sure. probably all I can say about that. But yeah, there's there might be some things you get to use that have to be transported on a flatbed trailer. So you're looking at doing a twenty uh, red October twenty twenty one? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's uh, scheduled. I just had kind of the first uh, call about it with Rifle Dynamics uh, actually on Monday related to uh, kind of just hey, let's get it started. We already That's had the dates news. reserved. That's good news. Yeah, it's going to be the I believe the twenty third and twenty fourth. It's uh, of October, but that's I'm terrible about knowing when I'm actually supposed to do things. So I just know it's like Vegas loosening well, up on their COVID shit. Then is that what? Uh, well, yeah, no, Marty, we're doing a, a COVID themed Red October, so everybody's going <laughs> to run it in a gas mask, full on yes, gas. It mask. has to be a surplus Soviet gas mask. Uh, <laughs> I like with that. The, you know, yeah, and which means that it has to be 40 euros old and therefore not work. Got to wear a full <laughs> <body> <laughs> I have to wonder how many people realize that, that wear Russian gas masks. A lot of people at Red October, I don't know if anyone shot in a gas mask on purpose. There were definitely people who had them, but, you know, it's, I wouldn't wear a gas mask by choice unless I really needed to. Like, well, that's what, make, that's what makes <laughs> it fun. If you, with stage, you got to wear a gas mask. That'd be cool. That'd be fun. Uh, I, well, actually, that's been done. Yeah. Uh, I haven't done it. And I don't think we could get away with doing that for COVID nonsense. Um, Bring your own. Well, call it, call it something you know. else. But anyway, <laughs> uh, we, yeah, all know, we all know what it would mean. But go. that's good news that you're going to have, I mean, that you're planning on having the uh, the Red October for 2021. Uh, I'm yep. sure it's going to be in so, October. Uh, because we're, I'm going to get inundated with uh, messages about when does it open, when's registration, et cetera, et cetera. Just be patient. Uh, so what has to happen for that is previous attendees will be receiving some information about registration soon if they haven't already. Basically, everyone that was signed up and approved into the 2020 match will be notified of it first. And the easiest way for me to control, we try to let people in and approve them into the match based on previous attendance. Just that way, people who have been doing it get the first chance to get in it again. Uh, the so everybody way gets to, to register after me. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the easiest way for me to control it is just to control who gets notified. So basically, there's going to be a secret handshake that you're going to get, and if you share it, then uh, you know you share it with someone who's not supposed to have it. Or I'm sorry, but you know we're going to be one. You still come to the match. Yeah, all three of your fingers or something. Um, cool. But yeah, that's uh, so. It is happening, um, and barring any other cataclysmic things that would prevent it. So, uh, are you going to have vendors set up like Brian was talking about before? You're going to have uh, other companies that yes. are set up there, and you can try their wares and uh, have other yeah, competitions. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's been uh, part of Red October from the very beginning, that to the point where it surprised me. Right, like the first year, I had I think I had eight stages, um, but. 
So I had eight stages and a range with like 24 shooting locations and bays. And almost all of them were filled because I had that much interest from vendors. Just that approached me. I, I never uh, initially I didn't charge for it um, just because I didn't have to. We owned the range. It was free. Well, the fact that you guys uh, are having an event and it's somewhere for people to go. Uh, you can probably charge wherever you want to this year. <laughs> uh, yeah, Especially with well, all the budgets that were saved more, from SHOT Show. Uh, now, now I'm responsible for basically just the match part of things. So uh, what Rifle Dynamics arranges for sponsorship and, and vendors and stuff is, is on them uh, because they're better at it than I am. And they actually have the responsibility for making sure that, you know, Pro Gun Club and the range in Vegas gets paid. Sure. So, yeah, you know, um, but from me, the fil- the philosophy I've always had about it is um, the actual competitor or participant in the event is my customer, and I try to solve and give them the best value that I possibly can, um, and that means that it's having vendors there because that's something that I would hugely appreciate if I were competing and participating in it. So, you know, having a vendor there is just value added for the consumer. Uh, so, so, so talk about the. Talk about the prizes that competitors win. Typically, you know, do you have like prize tables and things like that for the, the we competitors? Do, and and it's how kind are of those divvied hybrid. up? It's kind of a hybrid thing. So it it really depends on scheduling this year as well. Um, not whether or not we'll have a prize table. Obviously, we'll, if we have prizes, we'll give them away. Um, and we will have prizes. So what we try to do is recognize sort of the winners get sprinkles theory. Um but it's winners get sprinkles. Like it's division winners will walk a prize table by order of, uh, well, it was by order of finish. And we used to determine that by shoot offs where, you know, we'd have a head to head shoot off uh, with some standard guns. Like, hey, here's two, um, here's two AKs. There's a plate rack at 50 yards. And then a crossover like Pepper Popper, you know, whoever, ha- whoever wins a shoot off bracket gets first choice, then second, third, fourth, fifth um, for that if you win something. And then the rest of the prizes we have are given away by random draw. And that's that's really, you know, that's something that's controversial in the competitive shooting community is how we give away uh, prizes like that. Which I think is kind of a dumb thing to be controversial just because we should do this because we want to shoot. And if there's prizes at the end, that's awesome. Um, I think anytime the, people pay, you know, money for a competition to enter, you know, they expect some kind of a trophy or something yeah that's true um the reality of it now having run a lot of matches also like um you know if you win a trophy you win a trophy but you you're you really i think should be paying for what happens you know what you're doing on the range and shooting because if you look at what goes into um traveling to a competitor shooting match i've done you know hundreds now uh, as a competitor man if i wanted a thing i could just buy it it's a lot cheaper <laughs> Um, yeah, and it's a hundred percent certain to get what I want. Um, cause my credit card doesn't care how good I that's shoot. It's like going to the uh, fair and spending all that money to win one of those stupid stuffed animals. You know, you could have bought one a lot cheaper. Than- <laughs> yeah. You bought one a lot cheaper. You really yeah. did it cause you wanted to you know, shoot out the star with the super cool full auto pellet gun in the shooting gallery, yeah, experience which is really something like, yeah, in a way that you never experienced it before. But yeah, that's awesome. I'm glad yeah, that you yeah. guys are, are, are having that this year and pushing forward with it. Um, Hopefully everything works out. Yeah, Looking yeah I don't. To that. I don't see any issues with COVID um, this time. I think we're kind of all collectively as a well Biden president, so it really can't be that much of a problem anymore. Otherwise, it'll look bad. Um, yeah. So, 
Sorry, I didn't make mean to make it political, but you know. No, so uh, we, were, we were talking a little bit off air, and there there are some other uh, AK specific competitions that are out there too. Again, I don't know if they're going to have them this year or not, or or what. But it seems like uh, everybody has them in October. <laughs> for, yeah, for some uh, reason. <laughs> I don't know why. Uh, I'm just going to say that mine was first. There you um, go. But. Then the other part of it is, so it's it's not like me versus them. Uh, it's not a zero-sum game. Um, even if we are sort of really close to each other's dates, it does kind of, you know, it makes people have to decide on which one they're going to go to. But, you know, for example, I'm knocking on my wooden desk, but Red October is going to fill up because I, you know, I only have so many spots, and I, I know I've always had a wait list for it for the last several years. So, uh, and to me... You know, I don't do these. I don't run Red October or any shooting match because it makes me a giant pile of money, and I drive a Land Rover uh, that I paid for with it because um, I have a day job that isn't still isn't Land Rover money. But you know, I have a day job that's a lot less feast or famine than running a match. Where if I say the wrong thing on the Talking Lead AK Corner podcast, everyone decides I'm an asshole and leaves. Um, yeah, but. Now I do I do these competitions because I think that it's something that's good overall for people to do and it's something that needs to happen. I have a personal kind of vested driven interest in people being good at shooting and competing. Uh, competing is part of being good at shooting. I think it's kind of a necessary part um, in marksmanship. So if you can't get into Red October but you really want to shoot an AK in a match, shoot Kalash Bash, then shoot Red October Cold War, then shoot um, any number of other things. It's good that there are more. I'm not, I don't view it as a competitive event, um, you know, but yeah. it would be even more useful. But if the fact were, that everybody's say, running in, in October to me makes no sense. It's just like that. It's just, you're competing for the same crowd. So knowing yeah, that Red it, October it, is the first and they always do it in October, then if I'm doing Kalash Bash or if I'm doing Kalash Tober or whatever, whatever they're called, I would pick another month. <laughs> to, uh, to, I to would too, personally, if it were me. Um, but I, I don't want to like. I know the people that run these events. I don't think that that's it. I don't think it was necessarily their biggest choice to say, "Oh yes, we're going to do this to compete with Red October in October." Yeah. Uh, so in Ash Bash's case, I actually do have personal insight on that because I was registered to shoot it, and last year it was going to be, I think, in April, and then that's right when. You know, things started getting yeah. like you couldn't travel for Paris flights getting canceled. Uh, we didn't know what it was back when we even like even I was thinking, man, this might be something bad that I, you know, I, I had already decided I wasn't going to go because I didn't know enough about um, sure. how yeah, bad. I yeah. um, and, I, and I'm in, you know, at the time I figured I was in personal contact with like a dozen people that this could, you know, maybe kill. So I just figured, hey, I'm just going to not do it. Um, well, in January, but, you know. Oh my gosh! Back yeah. back they previous have, January with Shot Show. Yeah, yeah. They didn't have a uh, well. They didn't. They didn't know either. So they, I think, probably wisely postponed the match from April into October. And I think it was more a question of, you know, they didn't want to run in October at all. They wanted to run it in April. Sure, um, sure. When they had to roll it back, they had to pick a date that was far enough that they figured that they'd be safe to run the match. Um, and also work around whatever other local concerns they have with range access because, in addition, I can say that because of all the other stuff in the competitive shooting world that got rescheduled, there was a major competition shooting match 
every weekend in October in, te- in Texas alone. Like between uh, Vortex Shooter Source, Three Gun, uh, Kalash Bash, and a, a couple others that I wish I could remember. It's just it just happened. Uh, I don't know why they decided to keep the October date this year because it worked out for them, and maybe they thought that Red October wasn't happening again this year because of the previous cancellation. You know, yeah, it is kind of a usually when an event goes away for a year, you can generally assume that it's kind of dead. So you know, if they thought that, I wouldn't necessarily blame them either. Uh, then the other one that's happening in October is the Red October Cold War. I don't run that. That has. Nothing to do with me other than I told them it was cool to use the name because I, I know the people there. It's at Rio Salado. That all they've announced so far is October 2021. Uh, they are going to be announcing the date soon. I just got a text from them today. What state uh, is that in? That's in Mesa, Arizona. So Rio Salado Sportsman's Club. Okay. Uh, but the thing is also when it comes to matches in Phoenix, specifically that area, like they can fill the matchup with people from Phoenix. Yeah. Just that something well, Jim's to do that in with. Phoenix now. Is he going to? He is now too. Yeah. Um, uh, he's as far as I know, he's not that involved with him. I talked to do, to him a little bit last year uh, when he started Fuller Phoenix about doing something like Red October in Phoenix with him, and I said I'd be happy to. Um, and there's actually already a thing. It's Red October Cold War. It's already in October. Mm. Um, it's not like Red October in that. I don't think there's a lot of vendor presence. In the same way that Red October Clash Bash have them, uh, it is primarily based around just shooting the stages. And I can say that if your only competitive experience and gun handling experience is Red October, you really want to understand the differences between what we do at my Red October and at Red October Cold War because they have different rules and standards for gun handling that are like you might get disqualified more administrative stuff because you don't understand how a typical competitive shooting range works. Red October is pretty, I don't want to say loose, but it's very practical in its approach to gun handling and firearm safety. Mm-hmm. Um, not too much concern for what other organizations have done. And it goes back with what Kyle said is, you know, know, know the competition that you're going to be shooting beforehand that way. Not, yeah, pretty much. And it's things, like, things up when you get there. And it's things off of the stage as well. Like I won't. There's not really that big a difference between shooting a stage at Red October Cold War and shooting a stage at the original, at, you know, Red October. The difference is what's going to be happening administratively when you're expected to tape, and like where and how you can carry your rifle. Like, right. you, for example, require chamber flags at Red October because I personally don't think that they are helpful. I think it's just a it's a thing that enables me to treat a gun like it's not loaded, you know, to break the first rule. Um, just that's my personal philosophy. However, if your gun doesn't lock to the rear, which most AKs don't without something different in them, um, you have to have a chamber flag inserted, for example. Uh, the place where you can take your rifle out of a case and carry it to a stage. If you're not in the right area, you can get disqualified for a gun handling kind of procedure thing. Right. I don't It'd love it. It'd be a shame it, to get disqualified for something you know, like that and you pay all that money. Game. Yeah, that would suck. Yeah, it's it's just uh, one of the things I, I could rant about, and I, I try to keep it. I'm guilty of going off on tangents, so I'm trying to be better. Um, but yeah, people in the competitive shooting world, really, man, uh, really? organizations, um, use this capital S safety. Like I, I call it big S or capital S safety. Well, we can't do that because safety. 
and they're more procedures that people thought made us safe, but in reality, it's like an administrative kind of almost, I would say, trivial thing. It's not that I'm saying that we should only ever play by big boy rules or anything like that, but, you know, it's silly to watch someone, for example, a friend of mine come to USPSA National Czech Republic and have his uh, pistol caliber carbine in a uh, gun case and he had it at the kind of the squad table, not a safe area. He had the gun vertical and unzipped the gun case and was disqualified for doing that because he was not in the right place to unzip his gun. It still had a chamber flag inserted. It was still pointed at the sky, but per the administrative like etiquette procedural rules of that organization, that's a that's unsafe gun handling and he's disqualified. Right. Um, I look at things like that and I say, okay, I think there's a better way, and I'm not hindered by you know, a 25,000 member organization. Sorry, my dogs are uh, coming down. And so. Who's a big sweetie? Who's a big sweetie? Who's a big sweetie? But yeah, not hindered by a 25,000 person organization and a board of directors that have to approve the rules. And, you know, 20 years of precedent in this is how the rules have always worked. So if I'm going to change a rule, I can just decide to change the rule because I think it makes more sense. It's good to be the boss. But anyway, yeah. Um, it's, it, it is, uh, and my, my rule book is an editable Google doc that I can literally change while I'm looking at the shooter deciding, no, you, you, no, specifically for you, it says this isn't okay. Um, right, right. No, that's, that's a joke. <laughs> and I'm going to be the but, boss now and we're going to, we're going to, uh, jump into our listener questions now. Yeah. Cause we got a lot of them. So, uh, if you guys could go to Instagram, the post that I made, Facebook, the post that I made. Kind of browse through those questions. Pick your favorite one or two questions uh, while I take the first one here. So I'm going to go to uh, the post I did on Instagram. And if you guys shared it, go to your post and see if you've got any question on questions on your post. Um, so I'm going to Instagram first. And we're just going to scan through here. I'm going to read a few. It says, PPRN, do you run extended magazine release and charging bolt knobs? Anybody? Yeah, I'll, I'll touch on that. So the extended mag release is fine. It's unnecessary. Um, I have a couple friends that run extended bolt charging handles, and they're very good at them. Um, I found, though, in my training that it actually hinders me because I get used to reaching up and grabbing this big knob, and when I move over to another rifle that doesn't have that, I, I miss my stroke because on an AK, oftentimes, we're rocking it and, and reaching up underneath. We're not actually visually seeing what we're doing. So, yeah. um, I, Depending on your shooting, like if you are going to use it on one gun that you're going to use a lot, you really should just make sure it's common across almost everything. Like There are certain differences, and it depends on how good you are at engaging the conscious mind while you're shooting because something's different. Um, and that's kind of skill dependent, right? Like I can shoot all sorts of weird and different things and guns that have different controls and shoot them in a high pressure environment and not really screw up manipulation. That's from 12 years and like a million rounds uh, and achieving like a grandmaster classification to the point where fundamentals of marksmanship are not a conscious thing for me anymore. So I can devote more attention to being able to do the weird, different thing that's on the gun or looking at it in value for the rest of anything you would do with a gun. For example, if we're talking about fighting, um, not having to think about how to shoot a gun is really makes it easier to solve problems that you might have elsewhere. But anyway, yeah. Um, extended magazine release on an AK. If you're talking about a, 
uh, standard configuration. For those playing, uh, just listening, I am now holding up an AK-74. The way that I reload a standard AK, um, the magazine release is pretty much big enough. I don't think it really matters if you're going to run the standard rock and lock magazine release. Uh, the extended charging handle, it, it can be helpful, um, but the charging handle on a regular AK-74 AKM is big enough. Um, you can gain a significant advantage if you put a charging handle on the left side of the gun or on the you know support side, um, just so you don't have to reach under or reach over. Uh, but that's a pretty drastic modification, and it's not something that's common. Like, you know, one of the reasons that AK looks pretty stock that I just pulled up is because I leave AKs fairly vanilla, more because sometimes I go places where they hand me a regular AK, and I'd like to not be completely confused by it. Yeah. So the answer is avoid them. They're, they're unnecessary. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, either avoid them or um, make it common. Like, yeah, if you need to do an empty gun reload, uh, like a Galil Ace charging handle, yeah, it's faster than uh, reaching over or under the gun. Just, you know, it's better. Just evaluate your values, right? Is this something you're only going to do a little bit for competition purposes? Or is this something you're going to apply to all the guns? Um, nice plug for a sponsor there, IWI USA, by the way. Appreciate that. Um, yeah, you know, and, and to that to that point, if we if we uh, for just a moment, even though this is a competition episode, just disregard the competitive aspect and and put yourself in an adverse environment where it's really really cold, and your hands are numb, your fingers are numb, and you're going to run that AK. It's it's um, you know I've heard it said by some it's a gross motor skill platform. Why would you need to exaggerate? those controls when they're big enough and you know Aaron and I kind of found that out for ourselves when we were training and it was you know like single digits as far as temperature goes and it's cold and you can still run the AK just fine with the with a stock control so you know it's just opinion but if you get to if you can really run the stock platform then keep it stock it doesn't have to be fancy Okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll be the first to say that, that features and, and gizmos and gadgets are really cool when you see them online and you see other people run them and stuff. Um, but I cannot agree with you more, Brian, that it is, if you run a gun with a, with a customization on it, um, and, and Kyle also said this, if you've, you're really going to screw yourself up <laughs> um, when you go to a gun without it. So, and that, I mean, for those of you who... Um, and we'll go kind of towards the pistol side. If you if you carry one gun one way and you have a competition gun that you shoot another way, um, with, with you know with a different grip or different trigger or things like that, um, what are you training with most? And and are you competent with both of them? Um, you know the, those things really do matter. Um, and you, I will also say that you cannot you cannot just spend your way to winning a match right you you've really got to put in the training so i think that's much more important than than the gizmos or gadgets you can apply to the gun one of the there you uh, go. i think we've phrases. over answered this i think we've over answered it let's uh yeah, let's right. go to our next <laughs> question um sinister fist is the ak shooter looked down upon at three gun comps is there still the underlying culture that believes this weapon is inferior um, well, I think more I to would, the uh, what you said earlier, it's not that it's looked down upon. It's just that it doesn't meet some of the requirements. Yeah. I mean, there's still like, so a lot of places, well, 
I wouldn't say that most places, but there are places where you'll go, like if you shoot a match that I run in general, you're allowed to shoot an AK and use whatever ammo you want because I know and have tested it and I, I don't, you know, it's not, I know it's not going to hurt anything. You can shoot the gun. Um, I will say that, um, you know, are you going to get looked down on for shooting AK? It depends on the people that are there. You know, every, uh, every event is going to be a little bit different in terms of the, just the personalities that you're with and that you squad with. Generally, no. You might have a couple people that, frankly, I think are just kind of, you know, within the uh, competitive shooting world that kind of have a little bit of a to- toxic mindset about it. Like, you're not here using the normal things that I want to use, that, that everyone uses to shoot well, and therefore, you know, you're kind of wasting uh, my time by just shooting in front of me. Um, it's not a common mindset, mind you. It's, it's, it's pretty rare. But, yeah, they might have an issue with it, but generally it's... You, know, you paid an entry fee just like everyone else. They're going to just sort of leave you alone. Uh, in terms of um, looking down on the AK, like I will say, if you show up at a lot of matches with an AK, knowing what I do know about the gun and designing matches that were not at all designed around AKs, like you might show up and there are things that you cannot do with it and you cannot hit with it. Um, for example, uh, a good friend of mine wrote uh, did, a, did a really good write-up on really measuring what an AKM and what an AK-102 uh, would do, I believe, a 5.56 Russian import AK. Um, and, you know, at 100 yards, when we measure them from machine rest, like, we're talking anywhere from 6 to 9 MOA on the gun on real big, like, with the ammo that we can get, and even on a 5.56 AK with good ammo, there were mat- there are targets that I put in matches that you're not going to be able to hit, especially on a first shot. Just mechanical precision of the gun. Um, it's not that you're looked down upon. It's just that we kind of looked at the challenge and said, hey, this is a realistic challenge. You might have to shoot a small target at longer distance. Like so, you know, for example, the tar- targets of the Hardest L2 gun were 8-inch plates at 200 and 300 yards. But if you go to Red October a- or Kalash Bash or one yeah. of these other ones, you're going to be a hero. Yeah, exactly. Like that's why uh, he started it. <laughs> that's 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 the primary reason, right? Yeah. Like, I do not try to. Red October is designed around everything you might ever need to do with a gun. It's designed around you to be able to do it with an iron sighted AK that you install the barrel a little bit crooked on. Like, it's it's about how well you can do everything, not about whether or not you can even do it to start with. Very good. Did you but, guys yeah. scan through the question? Did you see any that uh, jumped out at you? You'd like to answer? Yeah. So. Uh, yeah. John Adams three, I think. Yep. Uh, what suggestions do you have for someone brand new to AK competition? Is Red October something that a newbie can compete in, or is it more of a Super Bowl of AK competitors? It is absolutely something that a newbie can compete in, um, to the extent where there there are things that um, I would estimate that most shooters at Red October only ever shoot Red October as far as competition goes. Um, so, yeah, I would estimate that by competitive shooting standards, most people at Red October are kind of newbies. In other words, they don't shoot a lot of other matches. Red October might be Red October and Clash Bash might be the two matches that they shoot. And uh, so if you're kind of new to it all, now Red October is a great place. Um, if you can get in, which is, you know, I, I hate to say, but I have a limited amount of spots in the match that you can get into. So, uh, but yeah, if you can get there, Red October is absolutely friendly to a newbie um, to the point where we even, you know, different from other events, you're allowed to and can receive coaching from other shooters if you work that out with them, right? Random people aren't going to be, you know, yelling at you what to do. 
but the ROs can also help you coach, uh, help coach you through just to make sure that you, they won't help you get the best score because if you're relying on coaching from another person, you're not probably going to win, but uh, they will help you have the best score that you might possibly shoot. And they're going to help you kind of complete everything without major catastrophes. And they're going to help coach you to keep you safe from doing something that, you know, maybe uh, it's a high pressure environment compared to what you're used to. You're maybe treading water mentally. They're going to be watching for that and making sure that like there's no weirdness as far as muzzle direction, turning around, pointing guns where they're not supposed to so that everyone stays safe and that everyone has an enjoyable experience. So absolutely, if you're a newbie, go to this. And I would say the same thing holds true for Kalash Bash just based on the uh, secondhand experience I have with it and knowing the people who put it on. Good answer. I like that. What about you other guys? You seen any questions there from our lead heads that you want to jump in on? There are a couple that I'm really pondering right now. Um, okay. Ryan, do you do any reloading? <laughs> uh, reloading? Like, yeah. Uh, so you've got your own questions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like making your own ammunition. Well, I, I asked because <laughs> your owner here, or one of your listeners here, Brett Bedow, uh, where did he go? Read his name and his question. Okay. Lost it here. But go ahead and answer his question, and then you come back to it. Uh, so on reloading? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I asked because, all right, Brett Bedow asked, is the AK forgiving platform to reload for? Yes, ammo uh, used to be cheap and plentiful. Is it now? And, and that's interesting because the 762x39 cartridge is, is a lot of the reason why the AK is so reliable, the design of the cartridge in itself. Yep. Um, I think most of us know reloading isn't any more cost effective at this point in time. I mean, it's really not. You may as well just buy preloaded ammunition if you can find it. Um, and and to, to put the effort into reloading something that you're going to go out and expel as many rounds out of as you would with an AK or another semi-automatic, to, to me, doesn't make sense. The only thing that I would reload for would be long-range precision. Um, but, I, Brian, what's, have you ever tried to reload 762 by 39? I have, yeah. Um, a little bit. Maybe like 150 rounds, maybe ever. Eh, no, more than that. Um is the AK forgiving to reload for? Yeah, um, in the extent, uh, in the same way that the AK is sort of forgiving, in that it's really overgassed, and, and 762 by 39 kind of wants to feed um, and eject and extract because it is tapered the way that it is, mm. um, to the point where I have made. But the other problem also. Um, so when we refer to the AK, um, that means a lot of different things. So, like. My AKM, built on a Polish kit with a uh, AK Builder barrel, built right, is very forgiving. It's really overgassed, uh, so it'll run even some really light stuff to the extent that I made like uh, subsonic 124-grain bullets that ran the gun. Uh, I wouldn't want to run it all the time, but doing the math, that's a 124-grain bullet going 1,000 feet a second. That's pretty light. That's like half of what it's supposed to do if we're looking at M43. And the gun ran it. What's not forgiving in 762 by 39 is actually reloading it and being able to find stuff for it. Um, right. Brass is the hard part. Um, so either you have to find brass cased ammunition or just brass component parts that are boxer primed so you can pop out the primer with a regular die, uh, or you have to do what's called uh, Mexican match ammo. I don't know why it's called that, but that's colloquially what it's known as. 
uh, and that is taking primed steel cases, basically by taking already existing ammo, pulling the bullet off, and then loading whatever you want, which obviously isn't cost-effective because you already had a perfectly good round of loaded ammo there. Why, why pull the bullet? The only reason to do it is if you had some other compelling reason to reload, like you wanted to put in a tracer projectile or you wanted to make subsonic ammo or you're trying to... Um, you're trying to get more mechanical precision out of the gun. And I'm just going to say it uh, ahead of time, like the ammo is not the problem. The problem is AKs were not designed to be a precise rifle. So you're going to fight a lot of other problems before you get down to the ammo. It's kind of the reverse of ARs. ARs are more about ammo. But anyway, um, and another part of it is brass. Everything in 762 by 39 is um, brass sucks if you're reloading. It's also... You know, if you've seen an AK, like, eject, you notice that the cases, like, go into the next county. Um, it's pretty bad about mangling that stuff up. So um, it's hard to find good brass to reload. And once you shoot it a couple times, like, it's pretty pretty haggard. So another question so. Uh, from um, Austin Whalen is, what kind of ammunition you prefer for competition? Yeah, yes. So for me, it's, it's Red Army Standard because I'm, I'm going to shoot in competition what I'm training with, and that's what I shoot. So it really comes down to that exactly, I think, is, is the better answer is go to the match with whatever you've been training with because your ballistics are going to change when you change ammunition. Yeah. Uh, and, and so yours is Red Army Standard. Yep. Okay. And that's going to vary rifle to rifle. Um you know, a lot of people they're asking, just buy. They're asking specifically what you prefer. Right. So. What do you prefer? I've done my homework and my guns prefer Wolf. Okay. Wolf. Jared, Wolf Black Box or Wolf Military Box? Wolf Military Box. Okay. Then Wolf Black Box. And then beyond that, uh, I think the Red Army Standard Red Box. And then the white box, well behind that. So that's in in order of, of the successes that I've had with with my rifles. With what your rifles? Yeah, th thank you for clarifying. Yeah, the Red Army Standard Red Box uh, hollow point. There is a difference. Bullets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, new Red Army Standard, I think, is uh, Vimpel, isn't it? Is it, it's imported? Um, it is. The old was something. Yeah, the old Red Army Standard wasn't quite as good. Um, the new stuff, it, the Red Box, I think, is. is yeah, pretty good stuff. Same as a uh, Golden Tiger, I think it was. I think that's right. Yeah. So uh, I think you've answered then, yeah. this question before, uh, Kyle, but FPS Murdoch wants to know, says, Kyle, I know you run the AK exclusively in competitions. My question is, what made you gravitate to the AK platform when many, if not most, run ARs? So I was... Simple-minded. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, man. I don't, you know... It's what he got my free. hands. Well, yeah, no, that, that actually is the right answer. Um, I was raised by a prepper before that was even a term. Myself, all of my siblings, we were all given an AK, uh, really a Type 56, a Chinese variant, uh, when we turned 18. And I remember the first time I ran a local match with it getting made fun of by everybody there because they were running LMTs and Noveskis and these beautiful $3,000 ARs. And I was broke as a joke, man, running a you know, slanted front sight Mac 90, which is actually the only Chicom Occam in existence. Now I had Brian rebuilt that gun for that same reason. Um, 
but yeah, it's it's what I learned on. It's what was available to me. Magazines were plentiful. Ammunition was plentiful. Uh, it just it made sense. And now with so many different products hitting the market, it, it really is a great option. It used to be a neat option. It was its own little niche, you know, trendy sort of thing. But now it's a viable option. That all of the concerns that we've had before are being addressed now. Now, Brian brought up a good point about the mechanical precision of it. Um, we don't, we don't, we don't have to beat that with. I actually do want to delve into that a little bit, Brian. We need to go shoot. We can do this off air. Um, but. I think for me, I'm going to shoot what I train with, what I use for home protection, what I carry in my truck, and that happens to be an AK. So that, that's why I've gravitated towards that. Okay. It's a good reason. So uh, any, if you guys spot any other questions that you'd like to answer, scan through there. Facebook, Instagram. You may. I know some of you guys reposted. You got questions on your on your sites that uh yeah uh let's see traveling ginger uh what company for mag holders g-code holsters seems to be the best but what about kydex as for rails sure shot zenitco krebs custom midwest industries um so none of the above yeah i don't actually so this is one of those things on the ak's um what company for rails? Don't know. None of my AKs have a rail other than like the Ultimac top rails. Occam Defense um, Solutions, the Merc. That, well, yeah. that, that that is the honest answer. I mean, I don't mean to be stepping all over you, Aaron and Jared, but I, I'd love to answer that question if you guys don't mind because I have tried all the above. I really have. Um, so Brian Keeney, Occam Defense, is one of my sponsors. And, and I met them and, and got to know them because when the Merc product hit the market, that was the answer. That was like, holy crap, I'm so glad somebody's finally doing this right. This product needed to be out. And there were, everything you just mentioned was out prior to that. But they just kept missing on a couple different points. And so Brian put out, um, you know, pre-order, the first 200 available. And and so I signed up for that at that time. And at some point, there was a, product in, a problem with production. And he contacted me and asked, hey, would you like a refund? We're, we're kind of, you know, starving for parts right now. I told him, no, man, I fully believe in what you're doing. I just need it in time for Red October. And so our relationship kind of evolved from there. But it was because I believed in his product. Occam Defense Merc truly is the finest rail out there. And like I said, I've tried the RS Regulate. I've tried the Midwest Industries. I've, I've tried the Ultimac. And not to take away from what those products did, at the time they, they were the best thing available. But they really missed on, on the points that the Merck has touched on, you know, the free floating design, the heat mitigation, um, the yeah. being able to, to field strip the weapon without moving your optics. They just, they nailed it. They're really the only, it's the, also the only rail that really worked to, to mitigate the heat. Um, yep. every other yep. rail I've tried, if you run the gun hard, it, it still gets hot as hell. Yeah. Yeah. I, I haven't, Despite having been at now two events that I hosted, Brian and Akamat, I haven't shot one of their guns or really done much because I'm in the middle of these events. I'm always we got to fix that. I know. Dude, I've never shot an AK match. I've never shot an Akam defense gun that I can remember because um, oh, I have like a chicken with my head cut off making sure everything works at the at the event. Um, but just from what I do know about like 
So that rail specifically solves one of the biggest, well, the biggest, like, oh, this is uncomfortable thing is heat. So if it solves the heat problem, that's huge to me. This, this is news to me about, like, AK stuff, right? Um, yeah. But then free-floating it, that alone solves so many, like, issues of, like, that's where AK mechanical precision, one of the things where I think, like, oh, we've got a way to free-float a handguard. Now I haven't seen what that, how that affects mechanical precision of just take a gun out and shoot it. But Well, Brian, you, when you were... You were referencing the accuracy and, and things that uh, the AK just can't do, and you were talking about the group size. Um, my ODS 1775s, both of them are, are, if I do my job, they're a 1MOA or even sub-1MOA guns. And uh, it's just phenomenal how accurate they are. And Aaron, um, we did a two-day AK class in in july of last year here in texas and and there were i think six 1775s there and, and it was phenomenal how accurate those guns were and or are and uh, i think that's a huge uh, testament to to the merc nice yeah that's it, yeah it absolutely is and, and and guys that are listening like aaron touched on earlier there's a lot of products that look really cool out there on the market and and ak's are hot right now you can't open instagram or a major gun magazine and not see a tricked out ak they're cool but most of that crap's unnecessary i mean really if you're going to try and build an ak and run with it there's only a couple things you need you need a good trigger and there's lots of good options out there i, I think alg is the best but that's that's your first thing get a good trigger somebody's going to get one safety. today somebody's getting one today yeah somebody is yeah, I'm standing. Yeah, send that out. They'll need it. So let's do. Um, we'll finish yeah. finish the answer, one, and then we're going to do one more one. question, so, and then we're going to pick winners. So start with the trigger. Good trigger. That's that's absolutely critical. A good way to mount a red dot on top of it. There are other options. It just doesn't absolutely have to be a Merc, but a Merc checks that box and a good handguard simultaneously. Um, some sort of extended safety. That's a bit of controversy or a point of controversy for a lot of people. But I I believe that crabs are. Sentry uh, arms or any of these other ones are, are, are great solutions and, and absolutely necessary just due to the lack of ergonomics of that that mechanism on the platform. But if you get those three things going on, it's leaps and bounds above what the AK was just five years ago, ten years ago. Um, I wouldn't worry too much about anything beyond that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and especially depending on the environment you're in, like Red October a good trigger and then comply with the division rules and maybe look at a muzzle device depending on what's already on it. Like if it's an AK 74, it doesn't really need a like change. 762 gun, it can help, but it's not really a big separator. I would say a trigger and a way to make sure that whatever sights you have are optimized. If that's irons, you know, do some work on the, the rear sight, opening up the rear notch and dog ear in the, the corners of it. If you're stuck, like, because a lot of the divisions at red October are irons and if it's a red dot, man, it's got to be a, a ruggedized, durable mounting system so that you're not having point of impact shifts. Because you know the targets are somewhat generous, but some of the some of the optic mounts I've seen on AKs give you a generous point of impact shift on you know <laughs> <laughs> they they they're more generous than the targets. So anyway, uh, all right. Yeah, well, I'm glad you brought up a, a muzzle device. That's that's also in my experience a big thing for for new shooters, especially somebody that doesn't have great form. 760 by 39 does have a little bit more push than your typical AR. So, yeah, a good muzzle device. Thanks, Brian. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things where you're not going to buy skill, 
but you can buy some performance by mitigating the amount of muzzle rise that the gun has just by redirecting gas. Like it's free real estate. Why wouldn't you use it? Um, you know, uh, and for muzzle devices, uh, for 7.62, 14 millimeter thread. Yeah, I got nothing. I can't remember. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, we haven't talked much about the 5.45. Tandem Dooley uh, was asking if I was choosing a new comp competition, AK, what would the best one be to get and why is it in 545 <laughs> 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 I think he's made up his mind yeah well there it is yeah there um, it is that that's funny is there uh is there an occam defense gun in 545 because i know parts not kits yet. and parts for mine right now not yet um so if it's, it's gonna be in 545 that's yeah. uh if it's going to be a 545, your options are somewhat limited now. Um, yeah. It used to be, I'd say it's an Arsenal or a Rifle Dynamics, but I don't even know if RD is doing 545 guns very much right now because of lack of availability of, of the yeah. stuff connected to it. Exactly. Um, one of the nice things about 545 is, yeah, it's kind of like a nerfed 556. It's even the standard pressure ammo is pretty light compared to 55 grain ball. And the gun was designed to shoot fast because it was kind of designed in that, like, maybe doctrinally more like a submachine gun than a rifle. But um, I would actually say that the muzzle brake on the regular AK-74, that's a Bulgarian muzzle brake I'm holding up right now, it's actually more compensation than you even really want on the gun. It actually pushes it down when you pull the trigger. Mm. Uh, but uh, a 545 gun... Probably the best thing you can do is not bad if you can get it right. Pick pick the gun that you can find, and you you might have to do work on it. Um, fortunately, we love five five six and two two three in the U.S. And if you don't want an AK in that caliber, which I understand not wanting, um, but fortunately, if you can get half by twenty eight threads on a five four five gun, you have an eye on infinite muzzle device options because that's an AR muzzle thread. Yeah. So whatever muzzle brake seems to work for five five. Five six works pretty good on five four five two because it's very similar uh, as far as cartridge design. Okay. All right, let's go to uh, this is the last one. What brand of magazines? This is from Reeves eighty nine. What brand of magazines do you prefer for competition and magazine capacity? So I, I run open glass, so I always start with a forty round mag. Um, I, I don't reload with them; they're a little awkward, a little cumbersome. And out of the norm, but I would start with the 40 and kick it out and, and, and go from there. Uh, there are only a few options out there. The best one, in my opinion, is a Circle 10 waffle mag. But beyond that, I use U.S. Palm mags going back to I'm going to practice and shoot with the same thing. And so I, I would hate to take a nice $100 Bakelite out to the range and hammer it as many times as we as we practice. Um so I'm going to use the same mag I'm practicing with as in that competition and save my bake lights or, you know, my mill spec for shit hits the fan. Those, those will stay in a plate carrier. I don't need to go beat those up to, you know, save a couple seconds and pat my chest in a match. Right. Um, U.S. Paul mags work really well and you beat the shit out of them and they're, and they're cheap and plentiful. Yeah. Um, I take, uh, that's basically I'd start with, it depends on the division that you're shooting at an AK specific match. If you are shooting an AK in a different format of competition, there's usually not a restricted magazine capacity. Um, is that one of those puff gun 60 rounders? Oh, I'll talk about it. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. Um, 
So there's usually not a magazine capacity restriction. So either a 45 round uh, RPK magazine, either 762 or 545. And yeah, the Circle 10 is the best version of that that we've used at least to start with. And you generally won't have to reload with that. And then for 30 round mags, well, for 762, there's a lot of good 30 round mags that I've seen. All the ones that I've used from US Palm, X Tech, um, even the Magpul ones that people like to bag on. They still have worked for everything I've done. I've done in five four five. That's a that's a harder question to answer because there's not as many mags, but Circle Tens are the most reliable. P mags are the most accessible uh, to the point where you know I would find some magazines that I know are going to work all the time. If that's Circle Tens because I can find them in five four five, uh, have four or five of them, and rather than use them all for everything. I'd actually take a little bit different approach than Kyle does. Um, in practice, I'll use PMAGs or something where you know the, I know that the uh, magazine might have a stoppage just because it might not be as uh, good of a magazine as uh, less common, either a Bakelite or a Circle 10. But if I can find mags that work, I'm going to set those aside to use in the competition so I save the wear, et cetera, on them. And then um, I'll practice with PMAGs or something that even if it's not raw, even Tapcos or Promags, which are not uh as reliable as uh the other ones that i've seen in practice if i have a stoppage it doesn't cost the same money uh investment and mental and time investment as they would failing in a match that's so. cool two two opposing opinions i like that i like that i don't like everybody agreeing on my show all the time so that's good <laughs> I hate it, so what i'm holding here is uh i've got a 60 round uh, windowed magazine. This is from American Tactical. It's the Schmeiser S60 oh, yeah. Yeah. K47. Um, so I haven't tried it yet. Uh, I don't know the re reliability or anything like that, but I know it's a it's a booger bear to load. <laughs> it'll yeah. it'll break your thumb <laughs> trying to load that son of a bitch. But uh, I'm I'm anxious to go try it. So, so Kyle, you uh, might want to start uh, with 60 rounds, one buddy. Thing uh, with quad stack things like that, because I, I used the Surefire one back when it first came out for AR-15s, and I have a Puff Gun, five four five sixty rounder that uh, was totally not smuggled from Russia. Um, <laughs> As you wink, I would just say that um, they're not all created equal. I haven't tried the Schmeiser quad stack magazine because I haven't had a reason to. Uh, in an AR-15, there's a 60-round PMAG D60, and it works great. Well, I've got the uh, AR AK, one of these also. Yeah, I haven't tried the AR one, um, not because it's bad, but just because I haven't had a reason to. It's compelling. A D60 is 120 bucks, and they they work. I have three of them, and none of them have problems or have had problems. They suck even more to load, probably, but, um, <laughs> you know. It, well, I haven't you know, tried loading I, it with I'm a, not a load assist, magazine, but, but doing it with your thumb, uh, my thumbs are still sore, and I loaded this about five days ago but um, what's your if caveat? i may one thing yeah. to be careful of with the quad stack magazines of that type they can work um the problem you run into that will cause stoppages is impact on the bottom of the magazine so you can monopod on them from the prone position but one of the reasons why they were uh neglected is you hit the base of it, and that whole stack of rounds kind of jumps up and down. You lose some spring tension, and the bullets inside of the magazines just, like, go and stack all weird-like. And that's what can cause stoppages. That's one of the reasons why um, 
this is kind of secondhand, maybe myths and legends, but I do know that Magpul was working on a 60-round quad stack magazine. And I did hear that basically that was the one problem they couldn't solve was what happens if you go prone really hard on the magazine. They couldn't beat that inertia problem. Yeah. So maybe it's something to keep using. Absolutely. If it works, just to understand that, you know, I have to tune my and adjust my manipulations around that to neglect them out or to uh, negate a malfunction. Right. So those are good questions. We got a lot more uh, good questions uh, Stephen Morgan, Shane Hammond, uh, Matt Cousins, Matthew Lottie, Brad Reynolds, all you leadheads. Aura Alplanop, the guy that we can't say his last name. <laughs> uh, all great questions, Jerry Black. Uh, if we didn't get to your question this episode, uh, you'll have an opportunity next episode. So uh, just re-ask your questions. If you uh, if we didn't answer them this episode, you can shoot me an email, talkinglead at gmail.com. If you've got questions uh, or if you've got maybe a guest that you'd like us to have on the show, shoot me an email, talkinglet@gmail.com, uh, and we'll get to those. So now, guys, let's let's do some giveaways. So we've got right. the, the SEAL 1 Complete Gun Care Kit that we're going to be giving away to a lucky lead head. So let's do that first, and I'm going to let Kyle go through and pick a winner for the the seal one. Oh, Dickie the third. Oh man. Well, that's cause he has a great name. Dickie the third seal one. Now you're not related to Dickie the third, right? Well, that's actually my other alias. But <laughs> okay. <we won't. laughs> okay. All right. So Dickie the third, shoot me an email talking at gmail.com, uh, stating that you won the seal one, a complete gun care kit with your uh, address and all that. And I'll make sure that we, have Dwight send that to you. So next up is going to be the Mission First Tactical Dump Tray. And we're going to let our guest, Brian, pick who that winner is going to be. I'm just looking through the uh, questions on the Instagram comment here. Or? Yeah, yeah, if, uh, Facebook, Instagram, wherever you're at. Gotcha, yeah, I'm looking at Instagram. Um, I'm looking at Enamel Pie. Enamel Pie, okay. He was following us today on our live. And said that one. So very good. I like random. We like random here. So enamel pie, yeah. you have won the mission first tactical uh, dump tray. So shoot me an email talking at gmail.com. Let me know you won the dump tray. Give me your address, uh, contact info, all that, and we'll get uh, Dave over there to send that to you. So the the trigger, bum bum bum, the Gosley. ALG, the enhanced with the lightning bow. And I think this is the one I've got in that one over there. I've got I've got this in one of those. It's really nice. I like this trigger. Best trigger you could put in AK. And I wish they made one that was that price for an AR. Oh, yeah, Agreed. right. Outstanding <laughs> trigger. Yeah, for the price, you definitely can't beat it. So I didn't beat it in an AK. How should we uh, go You, you about, can't beat it, period. I've tried. How should we go about picking this winner? Um, I'm mm. torn. Trial by well, combat, but that would be hard to over. Trial by combat. <laughs> Which one of your listeners had the most questions? Well, let's see. There's several that had asked several, several questions. Oh, wait. 
It's me, Dickie the Third. It's his. Or Brett Bedell. Let's do this. Pick a number between one and thirty. All right. And I'm going to go down. And I'm going to just count, starting from Facebook, and I'm going to go down that number. So, Rand, you got like a a random number generator? Let's see here. All right, go ahead. All right. Between one and thirty. Ding 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 ding. ding. Generate me. Eighteen. Eighteen. All right. I'm starting at Facebook, and this is this is the people who have left comments as of March 9th. So here's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Now I'm going to go to Instagram to the post. What am I on? Eleven? Yep. Eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen. Did you say Brett Bedow earlier? I did. It, uh, that's one of the guys that's commented twice. Yep. That, that's who it was. So. Brett Bedow, B-E-D-D-O-W. Shoot me an email, talking at gmail.com. You are the winner of the Gosley ALG uh, AK trigger. With the, it's enhanced with the lightning bow, which, uh, according to our panel of judges, is the best trigger you can get for your AK. So there you go. Congratulations to our winners. Uh, shoot me the emails, like I said. To win, you have to listen to the show. You have to participate. You have to share. You have to comment. I do not contact our winners. So if you're not listening to the show, you will never know that you have won. <laughs> uh, so hopefully Brett Vidal listens to the show, which I know he does. Uh, and uh, the other guys do too. So I, I don't think we're going to have any problems with them claiming their prizes. But we're going to give away another AK trigger next episode, another seal package and another dump tray and who knows what else that we're gonna we're gonna have to give away uh, i've got some ar triggers that are going to be giving away during our normal show from Gosley. Uh we've got some great guests coming up so make sure you tune in for those uh, and then you know the next ak corner we've got some good stuff planned too so guys thank you so much for taking the time we've lost half our panel uh, they've dropped off we uh, we outlasted brian Keeney at Occam Defense Solutions. Go show him some love. Let him know how much you uh, appreciate him supporting the show. Uh, Aaron dropped off. Uh, Jared dropped off. Again, go show them some love on their social medias. Let them know how much you appreciate them. Uh, Kyle, thank you so much for, for hanging in there for the duration and for introducing us to, uh, to our good buddy Brian with Red October, Brian Nelson. Brian, thank you for being on your you're definitely a wealth of knowledge and I would love to have you back on uh, another episode again. Um, I, I could listen to you all day. I mean, I was just going on and on and on and I wish we had more time. Well, Marty, My thank pleasure. you for having us. Absolutely. Anytime you guys are always welcome back. Uh, Brian, where can they get in touch with you on social meds if they want to get in touch with you? Uh, so I'm on Facebook and Instagram just as uh, Brian Nelson, practical shooter. Uh, and I will say that I'm pretty intermediate, intermittent on social media stuff. That's just, I use it as a tool for, you know, kind of bringing me some satisfaction. So it's kind of infrequent, but you will see some stuff on there that will help you get better at shooting. Uh, so, well, maybe, <laughs> <laughs> hopefully, uh, that's the intent. At least, uh, I try to keep it to, you know, things that are helpful and, you know, relevant and 
based on uh, experience in performance shooting. So, and Kyle, give your give your uh, contact info. I'm on Instagram. That's a KMO101. So K underscore MO101 at Instagram. Very good. And of course, Red October. Where can they go get all the info that they want uh, for the Red October? That'll be on rifledynamics.com forward slash Red October. That is October O K T O B E R. So like Oktoberfest, but uh, slightly less beer. Very cool. And if you leadheads know of some competitions, maybe. Uh, that we're not aware of that are specifically for the AK-47 or maybe a uh, another competition that will allow the AK. Uh, shoot me an email, talking at gmail.com. We'll give it a mention on the uh, the next episode. Actually, there is one that I did forget to mention oh, that okay. would really fit well for the AK, if I may. Sorry, yeah, last-minute no. add-in. No, it's perfect. Uh, I'm wearing the shirt for it. It's the uh, Cobalt Kinetics Practical 2-Gun. It is April 23rd, 24th, I think here in St. George, Utah. A friend of mine named Max Lee Grandis is running it. The targets, it, it's not designed for an AK, but it's do, it's very doable with an AK. It is a two-gun match, so you will also need a pistol. Uh, and you can find the details for that if you just search uh, on practicescore.com, search for Cobalt, C-O-B-A-L-T, or Practical Two-Gun. Yeah. Um, Love Cobalt Kinetics, man. They used to be a sponsor of the show. Tell them to get in touch with me. We need to get them back on. Love I will, them. yeah. Love uh, those guys. They actually uh, own I shoot on now, so okay. new owners. Uh, the okay, well, let's get reintroduced to them. Uh, very good. So, Leadheads, until the next episode, uh, study up on your AK history. Shoot those questions to me. If you've got a special guest that you'd like to have on, uh, shoot me an email talk at gmail.com and we'll do our best to get them on all right guys we'll talk to you soon see you bye all right see you